You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 440. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG Headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 26th of August, 2020. Today's episode, a private pilot dies while taking off in Rockford, Illinois. A man drives his car under a taxing aircraft in Portland, Oregon. More news, your feedback, and in today's plain tale, the band played on. So get all settled in, tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger and Flight 440 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He is an Emmy Award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation, 1010 Winds, New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. And joining me today from her lakeside home in the Carolinas. She's a doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot, Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. Welcome to the Lakeside Home in the Carolinas. It's great to Good be to here. to have you here. Yeah. All right. Um, let's continue on with this young man from across the pond in his studio in the English countryside, professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired captain for an international airline based in London. It's Captain Nick. Well, hi there, you two. Looks like you're rubbing shoulders in the lakeside villa. We are. Have a nice time. <laughs> Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, I'm here with Dr. Steph in her lovely lakeside cottage. But before we talk more about that, let's talk about this, the news. Stand by for news. All right. The first incident here. Well, you know what? We have a news report. Liz, if you'll go ahead and start playing that. But we begin tonight with an update on breaking news, a story we first brought to you at 5 o'clock. We now know this plane crashed while taking off from Chicago Rockford International Airport this afternoon, then caught fire. The pilot was the only person on board the King Air twin-engine plane. The pilot, we've learned, did not survive. The plane can typically hold 6 to 12 passengers. The FAA is expected on scene shortly. And that was from uh, local CBS affiliate in Chicago. And this was an accident that occurred at the Rockford International Airport in Rockford, Illinois, not too far from Chicago. Not really in Chicago, not but Chicago. I guess it's a Chicago it's, area, sort of. So Chicagoland is like all of northern Illinois at this point, I'm pretty sure. Ah, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Like if you're anywhere in North Georgia, you're in Atlanta? Exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so uh, this was a Beechcraft 200 Super King Air and was taking off from, even though the article says runway one, it was actually taking off from runway one nine. And uh, something happened. They think that it was an engine failure. And uh, the pilot, I, I think it was after he lifted off, uh, does it say which uh, engine uh, failed on this one? I don't think it does. Mm-mm. But it may have been the critical engine, which I would be the left, left engine. And uh, looks like uh, he couldn't control the airplane. And the airplane had been in maintenance recently. And uh, they're not sure if that had something to do with the uh, accident or not. But, uh, you know, it seems like we talk a lot about uh, King Airs uh, losing engines and shortly after takeoff and crashing. Well, in the past couple of years, oh, we've okay. talked about it several times on the show. So, uh, yeah, sad, uh, sad incident. I'm not familiar with the type, um, not really having uh, a lot of piston time. Um, so, uh, is this particular aircraft prone to or difficult to control, uh, at low speed with an engine out? I don't know. I don't, yeah, it doesn't, I don't, I mean, it doesn't have counter rotating props, so it's going to be, um, more susceptible if it's that critical engine that, that fails. Yeah. Mm. Just like any other twin yeah. turboprop. It's just from your and my world, Jeff, uh, an engine mm-hmm. fails for takeoff um, is just something you do and practice so often. I find it always a bit distressing when you hear of a pilot that gets caught out by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Because I think the, the airplane is certified to be able to fly single engine. I'm not sure how the certification standards work with uh, airplanes that size and the King Air 200, I believe, is, does not require a type rating. I think we talked about this. Oh, we've talked about this earlier. Honest, show. I, I think it's under 12,500. Yeah, pounds. yeah. If it's under 12,500 pounds, it's just, I mean, this was, sounds like there was just the one pilot on board. So, yeah, I would assume. I don't know what the uh, standards are as far as certifying the airplane um, with an engine failure, but I would imagine that it should so be able to. Yeah, I mean, so if you're above blue line there, you might maintain that speed. And Yeah, the blue line mm-hmm. for sure. What's that? So, so, blue, so <laughs> on your, uh, uh, multi-engine small aircraft, you're going to have, uh, so, uh, I'm getting pretty close to the blue line oh right here gosh. in my beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We actually just talked about this not too long ago. Um, but that's your, we did. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. I guess I wasn't paying attention. Oh my God. Was it? Oh, that's your VMCA is it? <laughs> that's uh, exactly minimum control speed what that is. Oh, I know what VMCA okay. is. That's all y'all you had to say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, so didn't have room I didn't know it was right. right. Okay, sorry. You didn't have room to write VMCA all the way across the airspeed indicator oh, for you, Jeff. Up. So they just put a blue line there. Let me continue with the news article. Yeah, um, article. <laughs> then we'll go back to blue line. <laughs> Thank you. Although I'm thinking of opening up a bar, I'm going to call it the blue line. Uh, let's Ooh. see. The uh, one person on board was not able to get out of the aircraft and died. The pilot was the only person on board. Witnesses said that they saw the plane bobble just after takeoff after crashing and catching fire and uh i think he was the owner of some kind of a training uh pilot training group and uh but he wasn't an instructor himself and he was picking up the airplane i think ferrying it back um i don't know where i found all that information because it's apparently not in this article that i'm looking at right now so anyway if we hear anything else about this incident we'll certainly let you all know now Here's, were you going to say something else? No. Okay. Um, item B. Um, yeah, let's play the video. Thank you, Liz. 
fell from the roads to the sky. It was a daring act at the Mackinac Bridge. Michigan State Police, the Coast Guard, now seeking information about a pilot who flew a plane under the Mighty Mac in June. Investigators are hoping somebody has some type of photo or video of that plane. It went under the bridge June the 28th at about 2.50 in the afternoon. There were hundreds of cars on the bridge. There were I wish driving we, on the bridge when this wish we had video of this. State police say it was extremely reckless behavior. Yes. And, uh, if only we had some uh, Anybody videos. with information should now contact anybody, anybody State has Police some or the U.S. Video? Coast Guard. Yeah. Perhaps they should have we're, a word with WWJ. <laughs> we're, we're watching on the video podcast, we're watching video that somebody's taken of <laughs> yeah. this airplane. Actually, I just thought it was funny. He was saying, oh, yeah. well, if anybody, it would be nice if we had some I guess maybe they, if they had better quality higher video, resolution. higher resolution, yeah, so they okay. could see what that tail yeah, they number just was. Want the guy's <laughs> registration. That's all they want. But that looked like a pretty. <laughs> make it out from that it video. Like a pretty distinctive airplane to me. It was a tail dragger. Um, no, maybe not. <laughs> I mean, Steph's like looking at me like mm, small no, single engine. It, to aircraft. me, it looked just like the Spirit of St. Louis. So uh, it may have been the Spirit. They need to look for a guy called Limburg. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and I don't think St. Louis is anywhere near the Mackinac Bridge. Mackinac. <laughs> okay, or the Mackinac well, Bridge. The, for that the airplane made it all the way to France, and that's not anywhere well, near the true. Mackinac Bridge. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Anyway, uh, Michigan State Police and the U.S. Coast Guard are investigating, uh, seeking information about the the pilot who uh, flew their uh, the the small plane under the Mighty Mac Bridge. Yes, uh, investigators are hoping someone in the public, as we said, or have a photo or better video. Oh, better video than what we just saw. That might help them identif- to identify the plane that went under the bridge on Sunday, June 28th at around 2.50 p.m. You know, I thought it looked pretty cool, though. I didn't think it was that dangerous looking to myself, and I would love yeah, to do something like that they're calling it extremely reckless. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't think it was big Yeah, so, you know, those things, those... Um, Guidelines about not flying below certain ah, altitudes in crowded areas, you know. <laughs> that's, that's are those really at all. those yeah. rules? I mean, can yeah, you get in trouble? Kind, for yes, that? Oh, yes. Okay. According to the well, FAA, compared yes. with flying a, a hunter jet fighter through Tower Bridge, I right. think that's pretty tame. I, I, I mean, that bridge is enormous. I know, and I, I agree. I think if he hit it, that he's just gonna go crumple, crumple, crunch. I don't think it's going to do the bridge a lot of damage, but there you go. I think maybe. I don't think they were worried about the bridge or this particular pilot. I think they were worried about the potential danger he was posing to people who were not involved. What, like in case somebody was like jumping off the bridge and they may actually hit the airplane on the the bridge? Or. Oh, the drivers might be distracted. Of course they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess, Steph, could you do a public service announcement regarding this? Uh, Please do not fly your small aircraft underneath large bridges. That is from the, the official PSA from the that airline. That gives Palico all the show. people with big airplanes absolute freedom to fly under bridges. So go to it, guys. And <laughs> Just have, have have at it. Second PSA: yeah. Don't fly any aircraft. <laughs> we, we wait. Breaking news: We have an size. amended PSA. <laughs> L one to my previous statement. Don't fly any type of airplane under a bridge unless you have special permission or any bridge. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I think it's best we move on to this next one before we get in any more trouble. Um, yeah. This is uh, this is quite interesting. Um, a man 
has been arrested in Portland, Oregon, after he drove his family onto an active taxiway. They were in a car, by the way, um, under a moving aircraft. <laughs> he wasn't using a, <laughs> not, not like a bicycle. <laughs> or, yeah, like, or driving. driving where'd you go? Where'd you go? <laughs> That's what came to mind when I was reading that <laughs> sentence, actually. The incident, which occurred on Sunday, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, maybe, or last week, uh, was swiftly resolved by county police. With the perp uh, incurring criminal charges, here's what happened. The incident happened on Sunday, the 18th of August, 16th, excuse me, now that I can adjust my lens and I can see it more clearly. Just after 1937 local time uh, involved a family of four in their sedan. According to reports, a vehicle crashed through gates at the north side of Portland Airport after coming off a nearby road. I'm hearing beeping sounds. Oh, it- Okay. Oh, Liz had left us, but she's back. Okay. Great. I don't know what happened. Yeah. Okay. Um, no problem. I'll just pretend like I didn't hear a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Where was I? Um, okay. The driver, a father with his wife and two young children, obliged uh, when they were asked to stop. The airport called police to the scene and the culprit initially cooperated with their inquiry. The driver of the vehicle told police, now I can understand this whole thing now, he had been left without options after he was being chased by several trucks on the highway. (laughs) Portland Airport was his only opportunity to escape. His only, uh, he's driving, so look, you're with your family, you want to protect your family, you're in your sedan, you're driving down the road, and these trucks <laughs> out of nowhere are trying to run you down. How what do fast you do? Do your right trucks go in the state? You're, you're right. They're fast. I don't know. Like what must be. 65 miles an hour. Have you ever seen the movie Duel? No. Isn't that what it was called? Help. Somebody help me in the chat room. It's an old movie, 60s movie, um, and uh, set in the Mojave Desert, I think. And there's, uh, and, and what's his name? The, the, there's a, a famous actor. Um, that was uh, in this film. One of his early, uh, earliest. Duel? I'm going to have to look Yeah, it I think it's called no Duel. No idea. Here, let me go to the look it up. chat room here to see if anybody's helping me out. Nobody's helping. No one's helping. No one. <laughs> They're <laughs> just going to let me hang. Thanks a lot, <laughs> you chat room They're people. They're so much you. younger. Yeah, I know. Um, look it up. Do you see anything about Duel? 1971 was 71? the movie. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't as long ago as I thought. It's a Steven Spielberg Steven movie. Steven Spielberg movie. That was one of his first big movies. Dennis Weaver. Dennis Weaver is the guy that I was thinking of. Thank you. Liz is telling me all this stuff in my ear. Thank you, Liz. You're a lifesaver. And it was called Duel, right? A mild-mannered right. electronic salesman is driving cross-country on a two-lane highway when he encounters an old oil tanker driven by an unseen driver who seems to enjoy annoying him with dangerous antics on the road. It is. It's really a scary. It's a frightening movie. I mean, you should watch it. I know it's an old movie, but this truck is like trying to run this guy down in the desert. Jen remembers it. Jennifer remembers Yeah, Jennifer. Come on. Yeah. So does Pip. Truck chasing after this guy. Yeah, yeah. So anyway. Um, that's so what it was like. Here? This is what is happening. He was in a Steven Spielberg movie being chased by trucks on the highway. No, but like real. He wasn't in oh. a movie. This is like happening for real. And these trucks were trying to run him over. And apparently he was near the airport. And the only option that he had yep. was getting on the taxi to escape was to, to actually go onto the airport property. So they stopped him and he, he was cooperating with them. He was speaking with the officers. Uh, he was 24 years old. 
Um, let's see. He returned to his vehicle and then drove off with one of his children. I think his, his favorite, his favorite child. <laughs> Not you. You. <laughs> he left his wife and the child that he really doesn't like very much. Uh, at the airport, and he, he headed didn't straight. Like Wi-Fi that come to that <laughs> exactly, and he headed straight underneath a moving aircraft that was taxiing to the runway. Thankfully, these uh, the sharp wit of the pilot. Oh, those sharp witted. The pilots. sharp wit of the pilot meant that no one was harmed. The aircraft stopped while the sedan carried on, coming to rest at Portland Airport's E gates, according to a report shared with Simple Flying. So uh, apparently they um, were able to get the uh, uh, perpetrator out of the vehicle. I think he accidentally fell down a few times onto the tarmac. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he was, I made that part up, but I, I can imagine the, it was probably a little bit of a ruckus uh, going on there after they got him hmm. um, out of the car. Anyway, he, uh, police arrested the driver, placed him in the uh, Multnomah, Mult- Multnomah, maybe, county jail. Multnomah. Uh, they later charged him with three felonies, cr- criminal mischief, attempt to elude, and assaulting a police officer. See, when they were taking him out of the car, I think he assaulted the police officer. So that's one of those things you hear about all the time. Is that it? That kind of story. Yeah. No. Yeah. Thankfully. Um, kind I, of a I'm strange wondering how one. he was able to just drive his car onto the airfield. I mean- did they he crashed have open through gates? a fence onto yeah. the airfield, is what it says. Oh, he did broke, he? broke yeah. through a barrier with his wife and two young children in the car. Wow! Feel free to scroll that around if you'd like. That's okay. Okay, because <laughs> I'm just scrolling back and forth. I know uh, it's, this is not difficult at all to you know do the show right next to Jeff. Um, <laughs> not, not <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. I'm yeah. beginning to understand. Well, I'm used to like you know. Reading what the chat room saying too. I haven't seen that in like an age now because we're well, not here, even on that page. There you page. go. Now we're on the chat. Now we're room. on that page. So if I'm ignoring well, I don't your comments, I have a big enough screen to have all that stuff showing. Do I? Well, you okay. can make everything like. Oh, you know. right. okay. Hang on. Let, uh, we want to make stuff happy. Okay, that's fine. But do you have to see everybody on camera too? Uh, no. Oh well, wait. We'll get it like this, and then we won't be able to read what the article says. <laughs> Um, let me, this has got to be a better way of doing it. You know, I'm sorry. I said anything. Let's, let's <laughs> just continue with how you normally do the show and is, I will do my best not to be where I can get another gin and tonic. Yes. Yeah, I think so. so. <laughs> okay. Wait, this is an interlude. Who said this was an interlude? Well, this I was asking. I was... <laughs> this is part of the show. HR just gave me permission. <laughs> okay. Go ahead then. We'll, Thank we'll, you. we'll entertain the troops while you're gone, but I'm not cutting this out. Sorry. He just left. <laughs> we need another banner that says drink, drink, break, <laughs> drink, drink break. Hey, trust drink me. Break. If you drink, th- this show is a lot more entertaining. <laughs> yeah. I don't even have time to get a drink. I'm so busy. You know what, Liz? I'm going to, because you are just so entertaining. I'm going to go ahead and let everybody hear what you're saying. Uh, oh, this uh, is no, it's, it's, it is trouble. Uh, Aren't there some FAA regulations or what can be said over the air? Yes. Well, no, not for podcasts. You can say anything mm-hmm. you want, actually. Oh. Yeah. But Even let's, across But, you know, we're, 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 we try to keep it clean. Okay. Those would be FCC regulations, I yeah, think. Yeah, FCC. Oh, but, but the FCC has no control over podcasts. We so. live free. 
we live free here. I don't. I just don't know how to set this up, stuff with. No, no. Being able I, I'm to see. sorry. I said anything. I really just want <laughs> you to continue with how it's you fine. normally do. It's, it's fine. fine. Everything's fine. Everything is just fine. I'm okay. I see some passive aggressive <laughs> coming out. <laughs> that doesn't describe us at all. No. Mm. I'll drink to that. Yep. <laughs> okay. Where did he have to go to get his gin and tonic? Isn't it like right there in the office? To with the him? pub. It's oh, probably a few blocks to get away. Ice <laughs> and lemon. He should. We. I guess we're going to have to pay for a bartender to be at Nick's place when we're recording the show. Some so sort of server. Yeah, and that sounds like a really good idea. <laughs> See, <laughs> I'm back. Uh, okay. okay, good. Onward. Okay, remember, Liz. Everybody can hear you. I know this is scaring me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's. I can hear Liz. Yeah, isn't that nice? Okay, we're yeah. trying something new. It's, it, this is an evolving experiment, this whole thing. All right, item D. Uh, a Southwest Aviation Antonov AN26 freighter, registration Echo X-ray 126, performing a charter flight from Juba? Juba? Juba. Sure. To, Juba, yeah. wow, South Sudan. <laughs> with wow. Wow. Wait a minute. Wow. wow. No, I was just saying wow, because... <laughs> Uh, how would you how would you pronounce W A U? Wow, uh, wow, yes, wow. with difficulty. South wow. Sudan with uh, like Wausau. Wa Wausau. Yeah, wow. maybe that is Wa. With six passengers and three crew, lost height shortly after departure from Juba's runway three or Juba runway three one at eight thirty local time and impacted a farm about two and a half nautical miles from the runway end, almost on the extended runway center line, coming to rest. At position, who cares? Uh, leaving a wreckage trail of, I mean, uh, does it make a, it's coordinates? Gave coordinates yeah. Not like, you know, 300 yards you know what, from though, the end of the Somebody runway. listening might live in the area. So here, let's just give them the information. North 4.9049, east 31 dot or decimal 5511. That's for our Sudanese listeners. Yes, that's for our Sudanese audience. Uh, after leaving a wreckage trail of about 125 meters, uh, I'm not going to talk about the impact. <laughs> coordinates. Another coordinate. One passenger survived in critical condition. All three crew and five passengers died in the crash. The aircraft was to carry a load of money for wages in addition to other goods to a, a wheel, a while, <laughs> a W E I L the airport. Oops. Uh, reported the aircraft belonging to Southwest aviation was bound for the city that starts with an A with eight people on board. Uh, let's see. South Sudan's transport minister reported the aircraft chartered by the World Food Program uh, carried three p- crew and five passengers. One passenger survived. Seven people were killed in the accident. Um, let's see. So we have some pictures. I don't know if you've been showing them. Uh... I have. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. So there's a, an overhead view of the airport and then two and a half nautical miles to the uh, northwest of the uh, end of the runway is where the uh, airplane impacted. And I believe they talk a little bit more about the accident and there may have been an engine failure. Let's see here. Hmm, seems to be a theme today. Yeah, it does. Um, there's a lot of discussion here uh, about uh, who the airplane is belongs to owned by um 
kind of kind of uh i don't know shady murky, uh, murky, murky. Uh, uh information circumstances regarding whoever it is that uh, is supposed to be legally operating the i airplane. sometimes wonder whether it's it's that or just very bad record keeping that could in be a country too that probably doesn't have an awful lot of people who care about that sort of thing that's true um, that's very likely what what it is um, let's see. On August 25th, 2020, the sole survivor reported they heard a loud bang from the right engine. The aircraft began to descend. The captain told them that they were returning to the airport. The engine was being shut down. There we go. However, the aircraft apparently could not turn. It could not maintain height. It contacted ground and burst into flames. The survivor received third degree burns almost all over the body, a severed spinal cord, Wow. And a fractured right leg. Wow, that's, that's not good. Not, no. Um, initial media reports in South Sudan had claimed the crash site was, well, we're not going to talk about this paragraph because they're just kind of arguing about where exactly it came down. But um, the uh, I read somewhere else that they talked about the, uh, they think that the aircraft was overloaded, that it was only supposed to be able to carry um, a certain amount of weight and uh, that there was some kind of record somewhere or report that the airplane was actually carrying um, much, much more than what it was uh, certified to carry. And that would make sense if you lose an engine and you're overweight, yeah. like grossly overweight, mm -hmm. uh, that you're not going to be able to do much with that situation. Yeah. Just by the look of the last pictures, it probably went about three miles off the extended center line. Mm -hmm. It's more or less in line with the runway. Uh, and if you look at the average runway is, you know, a couple of miles long on two, three, perhaps four miles off the end. I just didn't know that Southwest flew to Sudan. Um, I was going to mention that earlier. We probably I, I, should pronounce that as South Southwest. West. I'm sorry. I should. Not Southwest. I'll, I'll fix that in post. I'll put a little bit of a pause in between South and West. I'm not going to do that. Okay. Um, <laughs> the... Well, when you first said it, I had to look up it real quick. I was well, like, I mean, I was just reading the no, words I know, I know. together. Um, looking at the some of the accident um, photos, uh, specifically with the, this is the left engine we're looking at. It looks to me, being a trained accident investigator and understanding what a propeller would look like if it was producing power, uh, this photo looks to me like the left engine was running and producing power the way the blades are bent. But this one... Um, you can see it looks like it was in the feathered position. So that would have been the uh, right engine, I guess. Maybe that had failed. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's what it looks like to me anyway. To me, they all look kind of bent up. And bent up and charred. Charred. Yeah. So I, I don't have that same Well, certainly on. that blade there, Jeff, looks like it's in line with the yep. hub. So mm -hmm. it would it does be look pointing into wind, feathered, yes. Yeah. I agree. So... There you have it. Another uh, engine failure. Um, seems like we've been getting a lot of accident reports coming from that area of the world recently. Exactly. I wonder if it's uh, an unusually difficult time for them or whether we're just hearing them, whereas in other times um, they would be at the bottom of the news pile and we wouldn't right. even bother going there. That, that probably That's probably it. There's not a heck of a lot mm -hmm. of flying going on mm -hmm. in the in the COVID-affected world. Of course, the whole world's affected. But, yeah, I think that we're just hearing more and more reports of, from Africa for some reason. Well, and it's a lot of these, like, charter flights and mm -hmm. smaller 
uh, you know, not large. Well, and, and you don't want to hear about yeah, it. smaller as opposed to not large. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. <good. laughs> See, I can play this game too. Yeah. yeah. No, no, I just, I just mean. Oh, we're playing a game now. <laughs> yes, yeah. it's called the passive aggressive game. game. <laughs> I just. Uh, we've had that. I just mean show. we're not hearing about you know. Uh, there's not. Fortunately, there's not. Um, bigger, more newsworthy accidents occurring because there aren't nearly as many flights happening. So we're hearing a lot about these smaller um, incidents. Well, here's one. <laughs> okay, fine. I mean, <laughs> fine. Fine. Uh, a Vueling A320 at Birmingham, not Alabama, Birmingham on uh, in England, August 26th, 2019, not too long ago. Uh, Alpha floor on second missed approach. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. Not long ago, if you're really old like me, a year ago is nothing. <laughs> yes, it was. It was a year ago. Thank you, Liz. <laughs> See all these little nice little things I'm hearing from Liz. Usually, only I'm hearing from Liz, and everybody's hearing now. But it's very helpful. I'm being polite. You know, she is actually being very. Remember, it was Jeff's very choice polite. to have. Yes, it was. Liz. It was my fault. Uh, um, so I, I, um, Simon has a kind of a summary of the accident um not accident incidents uh but it was really confusing to me so i went ahead and just uh put the uh actual uh, report itself um as the uh, first item from uh, uh what was the uh agency that did this uh, report aaib air accidents investigation branch field investigation that makes sense um synopsis of this incident the aircraft made two approaches above the correct above the correct descent profile on each occasion leading to a missed approach on the second missed approach the aircraft initially continued descending and was not configured com- appropriately reaching an angle of attack at which the alpha floor energy protection mode of the uh, Airbus A320 activated to increase engine thrust the aircraft made a subsequent approach landing without further incident during a subsequent event, this is what kind of threw me off because not so there like more than one event here that they're talking about in this report involving the same operator and aircraft type, but a different flight crew. The aircraft remained above the correct approach descent profile initially, but then descended below it uh, later. The approach uh, later in the approach and performed a missed approach. The pilots in this case managed the vertical profile manually using a flight control mode, which they were not familiar. Hmm, I thought we were supposed to be familiar with all the flight control yeah, modes. Yeah, I'm just mm-hmm. trying to think what on earth mode they were using that they shouldn't be familiar with. I think they, I think, well, I don't know if it was the first incident or the second, but they were using vertical speed. I'm not actually, I'm, di- I'm not trying to scroll that as rapidly That's as okay. I, I That's am. That's okay. That's I'm, okay. I'm, I'm like you're good. trying you're to use the little wheel there and it's not working very well. Um, let's see. In both cases, the pilots appeared not to have understood when to commence the final descent to follow the vertical profile of the approach. The operator's safety department has recommended improvements in approach training and strategies to assist situational awareness. The operator and air traffic, air traffic services provider are working to gain a better understanding of each other's approach requirements. Um, so I was kind of scratching my head on this one. I'm thinking, well, why, why did they have trouble determining at what point to? I and mean, this is like Start basic their, instrument training, yeah, right? Sure, you learn sure. approach procedures, and you you learn how to read approach charts. 
there's a depiction here of the vertical profile of the RNAV approach to runway 33 at uh, Birmingham Airport, extracted from the UK Aeronautical Information publication. And uh, I mean, it looks like a normal profile view that you would see in mm-hmm. almost any approach. Um, let's see the history of the flight after an uneventful flight from Barcelona, the air or Barcelona. The aircraft positioned for an RNAV approach to runway 33 at Birmingham. Both pilots were experienced on the aircraft, and the co-pilot was acting as a handling pilot. The weather at the time was good, with light winds reported and no cloud below 5,000 feet. So that's like a nice day below 5,000 yeah, feet. Yeah, right? so presumably... VFR. Yeah. VMC. The aircraft was at 4,000 feet, approximately 11 nautical miles south of the airport when ATC cleared it to descend to 2,000 and carry out the RNAV approach. The pilots read back the clearance correctly, uh, but 30 seconds later, the aircraft had not changed altitude, and they contacted ATC to request descent. ATC again cleared the aircraft to descend to 2,000 feet and to carry out the approach. The aircraft was 10.5 nautical miles from the runway when it started descending. At 9.4 nautical miles, it was at 3,800 feet, 1,000 feet above the correct profile. Okay. I'm actually very confused because they were cleared to descend to 2,000 feet, yet mm-hmm. they stayed at 4,000 feet. But before it said they were uncertain as to when to, de- start, to start their descent, but they were told to start their descent. Yeah. That's, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> well, how come, why, why would I l- lose this connection? That would be my phone, too. Liz? Liz! We'll sort it out eventually. Well, we've got two of them now. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Where have you been? Well, I haven't got anywhere. It's, <laughs> and we had four of you a minute ago. So. Oh. Sorry. We should ask them to join us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They were doing a dreadful job. I'm glad you've come along. <laughs> how long were we talking for? Or how long, uh, uh, how long ago do we? 30 or 40 seconds. Hmm. Okay. Well, what's really strange is this other computer that I have the um, Liz's um, back channel on is, is using the hotspot on my phone. It's not the same source of um, internet. internet. And it doesn't actually look yeah. like the internet quit. It just kicked us out of StreamYard and also yeah. out of. Okay. You can hear there us now, are. right, Liz? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Very strange. Hmm. You got some like weird voodoo stuff going on here in this house. I, I don't know. I'm sorry. Poltergeist. Yeah, definitely. I think I'm going to have some beer. It's <laughs> a good idea. It's the answer, uh, the, the problem. Was it the cause and solution to all your problems? Yes. <laughs> Alcohol. <laughs> Alcohol. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that the discussion that we had that nobody could hear was just yeah, that, amazing. And it'll be good. Yeah, we should move on then. Mm-hmm. Very in-depth. <laughs> Very in-depth. <laughs> I don't... We really did talk quite a bit about it. Yeah. Well, I, I think have we... to listen to the podcast. 11 miles south of the airport was the last thing you said is what Pip said. Ah, thank you. So the aircraft was at 4,000 feet approximately. Really? You missed all that good stuff that we were, that stuff was talking about. Okay. 
Uh, the aircraft was at 4,000 feet, approximately 11 nautical miles south of the airport when air traffic control cleared it to descend to 2,000 feet and carry out the RNAV approach. The pilots read back the clearance correctly, but 30 seconds later, the aircraft had not changed their altitude and they contacted ATC to request descent. <laughs> well, didn't they just receive that clearance to 2,000? Okay. 30 seconds earlier? Okay. Um, ATC again cleared the aircraft to descend to 2,000 feet and to carry out the approach. The aircraft was 10.5 nautical miles from the runway when it started descending. At 9.4 nautical miles, it was at 3,800 feet, 1,000 feet above the correct descent profile. And, uh, and Steph was making the point. Well, I was making the point that earlier it said they were unfamiliar with the approach mode they were using and uncertain as to when to descend, but they were told to descend. Yeah. Twice. But they weren't really they certain about that. Didn't actually descend. So no. I'm also confused now. Well, mm -hmm. there's a difference between being cleared to descend and being told to descend. Mm -hmm. Well, this uh, says so that they were you, told. You, to if descend. you're cleared to descend, you've still got to work out your own, make your own decision about where to start that to stay on the glide slope. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well, but there's really not a glide slope here. I think it's a, it's a non precision. Um, Approach. Well, if they're like uh, most operators of airliners nowadays, uh, we try not to do a stepped approach. So right, yeah, constant uh, descent constant profile. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So what we're looking to do is start an approach that will pass through the final fix at the correct height. That's fair. And continue down. It sounds to me, though, that they... Yeah. So they were at 4,000 feet, so 11 miles away, and there's a fix there that says they should cross it at 2,000 feet. Right. Five point one miles uh, from the yeah. Well, no lower switch. than two thousand. Well, no, yeah, no yeah. lower than two thousand. But usually, so I'd, I'd be starting at ten point two miles from four thousand feet, and flying a three degree approach, assuming that's mm -hmm. what it's it's predicated to. I don't know. Yeah. Let's see. Um, when the aircraft was three nautical miles from the runway, ATC cleared it to land. At which point, the aircraft was at two thousand feet. So. Um, yeah, that's 660 feet above the correct profile. The pilots continued the approach, but at about 0.3 nautical miles from the threshold, pretty close uh, to, the, to the threshold, at a, and at 470 feet. That's kind of high. They announced they were going around. Good decision to mm -hmm. go around. Yeah, ATC that decision. Yes. ATC. If only there was it. some music you could play there. What's that? If only there was some music you could play there. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we have anything that would you be appropriate. Um, so was it this one that I put some, uh, sound clips in? No, I didn't. That was probably a piece of feedback anyway. Next one. Um, or the next one. Okay. Thank you. Now, where was I? I'm scrolling all over the place here. And it's making me dizzy. They were going around. Um, <laughs> can I help you? It's further up. Further still. up? Yeah. Uh, I think you ought to take control of at least I, one of those things. This, probably. Yeah, this little scroll wheel like here is like <laughs> really sensitive when it comes to this PDF that we're looking at. Yeah. So you should let someone who's got a, a really good eye for poking needles into people's backs control that then. Well, do you know anybody like that? <laughs> no, unfortunately not. <laughs> <laughs> no one who's any good at it anyway. See what I mean? It's kind of sensitive. It's a little yeah. touchy. No, no, no. I was just, I was reading because I couldn't. Okay. You, you scrolled through so many pages that. Yeah, I think it was this you, one. You scrolled through like 10, and this is the page that you were on. 10? It's not At even least. 10 pages long. Okay, 
Um, so they decided to uh, perform a go around. You know what? It was Liz caused me to be distracted mm. with the sound mm. effect. Oh, we're away. blaming the producer. Yeah, now. I think it's Liz's fault. What? On air, we're blaming <laughs> the producer. Yes, we are. <laughs> No, it's my fault. Everybody knows. Shortly after the aircraft began climbing, shortly after, oh, shortly after the aircraft became climbing, um, began climbing, the commander took over uh, English. I don't know how to talk. The commander took over as handling pilot and informed ATC. He goes, get me the airplane. You don't know what you're doing. Uh, and the crew had experienced a navigation problem on the initial approach, <laughs> a navigation problem. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah okay. Then, they, then they requested a localizer DME approach for the second approach. ATC accepted the request to provide radar vectors to position the aircraft to commence the approach. When the aircraft was on base leg, ATC cleared it to descend to 2000 feet, but the crew mistakenly read back the clearance to descend. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I don't have this memorized. <laughs> To descend to 2,000 feet. Oh, that the crew mistakenly read back the clearance to descend only to 3,000 feet. The mistake was missed by ATC and was not corrected. Okay. So we have some miscommunication going on here. Uh, the aircraft descended to 3,000 feet whilst positioning to establish on the localizer, during which it was given further clearance to descend with the approach. When the aircraft began its final descent from 3,000 feet, it was about 7 nautical miles from the runway. It crossed the final descent point 5.1 nautical miles from the runway and 200 feet above the correct profile altitude. So they were high again. Initially, the crew continued the approach, but then informed ATC they were too high again and requested a left turn. In response... ATC instructed the crew to turn left onto a heading of 240 degrees and to climb to 4,000 feet. The crew commenced the turn two and a half miles from the runway, descending descending through 1,900 feet. At the same time, they selected a climb to 4,000 feet using the open climb mode, leaving the landing gear down and full flaps set. They did not select the toga thrust mode appropriate for a standard go-around maneuver. This caused the aircraft to pitch up to about 10 degrees nose up which is probably not appropriate, especially if you don't have the power at Toga. Mm -hmm. The aircraft began to, to decelerate, and the crew changed to vertical speed mode, reducing pitch to about one degrees nose up. However, the aircraft entered the alpha floor protection mode, automatically setting Toga thrust and causing the speed to increase. The commander then set the thrust levers to prevent the aircraft exceeding the full flap limiting speed. With pitch reducing, the aircraft continued to descend and ATC again instructed the crew to climb. The crew selected a climb of about 900 feet per minute, still using the vertical speed mode, and the aircraft having descended to 1,300 feet. <laughs> so they, they were continuing to descend what a, even the whole what a pickle. <laughs> so, well, you know, help me with this, Nick. Uh, you're familiar with open climb, um, alpha floor, yeah. and all these different flight modes. And uh, what was going on in that cockpit? I think there was way too much pushing and pulling of uh, modes, changing modes, not anticipating things, not realizing what you're doing. And in the words of the guy that uh, did that marvelous talk about the children of the magenta, mm -hmm. what they should really have done at that point, having got themselves in a complete pickle, was to take out the autopilot, take out the auto thrust, to manually fly the airplane to where they wanted it to go, and then start re-engaging things. Or better still, uh, you know, get the aircraft under control the right 
um, speed and uh, the right attitude for that speed in a climb and then start cleaning up perhaps mm-hmm. because I, d- I didn't mention when they when they achieved a cleanup but this this just smacks of someone who either very tired or completely overloaded um yeah just uh tried <laughs> <laughs> well, Try to the fly the airplane out using automatics and and selecting completely inappropriate modes to do that, and then becoming confused and trying something else. So, nah, not not well handled. That would be a a simulator fail. I have the same question as the guy who's over your uh, right shoulder there, Nick. In your oh yeah, he's in our chat room there too. He said, "How about look out the window and fly visual?" Seems what? like the Seems like the well, weather it was, was a nice day, good enough so for it. they could have done that at any point. I mean, it should have been obvious to them. Feet, and they that were at 4,000 feet and without even miles look, from with, the runway. Without even looking at your instruments, you could look outside, see the runway, and go, you know, it feels yeah. kind of well, like so we're high. It would be a little high. <laughs> I, you know, I've started descent. I hate to say it, but I, I think more and more we're seeing, and I've even seen it in my short career of 30, almost 32 years, of the newer pilots really, and I think it has something to do with the way we're training pilots uh, in the airlines. And it just, they rely and depend so much on the automation that they don't feel like they can turn it off. I don't know why. I mean, there's no rule that says I can't turn it off and, you know, click, 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 you know, turn everything off, fly the airplane, get the airplane on the ground. That might be airline dependent a little bit, but it, yeah, I'm not saying that this is true for all airlines, but there are some airlines out there that uh, I've been told that, they said, you know, absolutely not. You never turn everything off. You have to keep it all on until, you know, a certain parameter is met. Um, uh, my airline encourages us to, when when it's appropriate, to uh, manually fly the airplane. However, uh, in experience, anecdotal experience, hardly anybody does. I do because I love flying the airplane, but I'm used to doing it. But the newer people aren't used to doing it, and it's it's – sad as pip said just turn the uh, automatics off and and nick said the same and fly the airplane you know mm-hmm. hmm. well Absolutely. It, it talks about another um approach uh, as well another uh, incident in december of 2019 where uh, and they kind of mucked up the vertical descent profile and in this case i think they actually got below the profile um we're going to have the report in the show notes everybody can read this thing here, but uh, I don't know uh, what the problem is. Uh, I think they're thinking that it might have something to do with the way that they're training at this particular airline. And also, I think uh, there was some discussion about communications. Uh, Spanish pilots, I believe, and uh, English controllers, and uh, the the ATC not trapping the error when uh, they gave a descent to a certain altitude and it wasn't read back. Um, you know, or the wrong altitude was read back and it was not corrected. So, you know, the crews are here are not completely to blame, but I think that a a bulk of the blame goes on the air crews on these incidents. Having been in the simulator and observed um, when alpha floor hits unexpectedly, it can be a quite a dramatic event. So alpha floor comes in when you get the aircraft to an angle of attack that is deemed to be um, beyond the protection of the, or unsafe. So the aircraft protections 
take control and uh, they apply toga pass. So that's full power. Now, in a lot of go-around situations, uh, you don't need a lot of power. Um, if you're particularly if you're lightweight and you're not close to the ground, uh, you may not even select uh, toga at all. You may manually fly a level or slightly climbing um, reposition, as it were, and clean up along the way. You don't have to do what is a, a, a go around that would be flown at decision height, for example, where you need to get the aircraft in the formal uh, go around because you're close to the ground and you need to fly the, the correct procedure and you want all that guidance, etc. It didn't have to be done that way. But um, when alpha floor hits and you get all that power unexpectedly, the aircraft will accelerate like a, a startled rabbit. Uh, and unless you're prepared for it and able to clean the aircraft up quickly uh, or select appropriate modes or disengage it quickly uh you're going to get way behind the the uh the airplane very quickly and start to do what this guy did which was climb level off descend uh flaps over speed bells ring in it's all gone to <laughs> stop going wrong <laughs> captain <laughs> well i think in the interview of the captain i think that that's kind of what he was thinking nick that it's not really necessary for me to go into the toga mode and get all that power and everything else. I'm just going, I think in his mind, he was thinking he was just going to be doing like a left circle back around and, you know, come in for landing kind of thing. So leave the landing flap setting where it is, leave the gear down. Don't need to push the power way up. Um, but instead of doing that by hand, uh, he tried to do it with the automation, and then it just wasn't working out the way he intended it for it to work out. And then pushing buttons and changing modes, and all of a sudden the alpha floor hits. And as you just mentioned, yeah, once once those engines go into toga power, things start happening really, really quickly, especially if you're yeah. light. Um, yeah. The the operator, I, I've seen it. The operator, you know, it. in their in their defense, have stable approach criteria. Um, you know, designated aircraft, final configuration, checklist complete on the glide slope and localizer hmm. uh, speed, uh, the uh, approach speed plus 25 to minus five and no excess deviation. So I think that we could all agree that in this case, in both of the cases that the airplane was not um, meeting their criteria for stable approach. Uh, but it also says right on underneath that, that the operator commented that it considered it acceptable for pilots to delay the commence commencement of the go-around maneuver slightly in order not to become rushed, but only when it was considered safe to do so. So, Yeah, I we've talked about this, Jeff. If, if we, I say, get told to go around at 1,000 feet, um, there's nothing to prevent us just continuing what we're doing, the approach, doing a quick mini rebrief just to refresh the other pilots' um, Getting, getting mentally prepared for what we're about to do. So we're going to do a go-around in a second. I'm going to apply full power. The airplane's going to pitch. Uh, I'm going to call go-around flap. You're going to bring the flap up one slot. And then we're going to climb. We're going to make sure we've got the right heading, high heading speed set. And uh, then we're going to uh, call for the gear up. Once you say positive rate, and, and like, mate, I'm not in practice, but I could do that in 30 seconds or less. Uh, and then you say, ready? Okay away we go so you don't have to react immediately unless you're at a lower height down near your decision height and certainly if if you're doing a one that's above your acceleration altitude 
that you'd normally do once you've uh, done the initial part of the go around, you're going to accelerate and clean up. If you're above that height, you can do it all uh, on the automatics, level the airplane off or set in a gentle climb, set an appropriate power setting just to hold your speed and then just ask the, for the services to come in one by one as you gently accelerate. You, But once alpha floor happens, you have to be very quick to get all that done or you have to remember, and that's another thing, it's because it's so rare for people to get get alpha floor, this doesn't happen very often, people forget how to take the get the aircraft out of full power because that power is locked in it'll it'll say toga lock and uh, you've actually got to remember how to disengage it uh, and it's not necessarily one of those things that you'll immediately have in your mind wow okay um i found the place in the uh, report where they talked about what the commander was thinking uh he's in this case stated that he did not wish to alarm the passengers by conducting a further go around <laughs> Cause they'd already done one before, but, <laughs> uh, but did not explain his plan thereafter. So as Nick mentioned, he would quickly brief what he intended to do. This mm-hmm. one, this captain, this commander did not, the aircraft was in VMC. And, uh, if his intention was to reposition visually for another approach, this might explain why the aircraft was not reconfigured for a go around nor toga selected, uh, when ATC instructed the aircraft to climb, uh, anyway, yeah, big mess. A uh, lot of things went wrong here. Uh, uh, I mean, at any rate, communication is communication. Super important there. And it wasn't there. No. Yeah. Again, how many times does it come down to that, right? Uh, effective communication. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, um, I think that Liz wants us to maybe jump to item G. Um, oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, okay. Um, this See what I was doing there? plane flies itself. We went for a, r- a ride. This is from wired.com wired magazine. Uh, X wing is testing a Cessna that's controlled from the ground, not the cockpit. Its goal is to automate as much as possible while keeping a human in the loop. Uh, the Cessna caravan is the airplane they're using for the platform. Uh, the conditions are not ideal for our landing. So the rider here is along with, the uh, pilot uh, on board the Cessna caravan, but I guess the caravan is equipped with a lot of fancy instrumentation and and uh, flight control um, manipulators. I don't know what the right word is there. Um, so we need a picture of the inside. Yeah, we do. A- we got all we have here in the article is a picture of the outside of the aircraft, but. Uh, the conditions are not ideal for our landing. A hard wind is blowing over the low hills east of San Francisco and at just the wrong angle, straight across the runway where we're set to touch down. But as we ease into our final approach, our two winged shadow clipping the suburban homes alone below, excuse me, the veteran pilot sitting beside me makes a gentle suggestion. I like to do it with hands up like a roller coaster, he says. He, remain, he removes his hands from the wheel of our aircraft a 27-year-old Cessna caravan that once shuttled United Nations dignitaries in Southern Africa. It's nothing especially fancy with aspects that feel more go-kart than airliner. The cockpit is filled with manual toggles and analog dials, pulleys connected to uh, connect the pedal directly to the rudder at the tail, but recently this plane underwent some modifications. As we descend 
past 500 feet, the 15-knot gusts hitting our side and the pilot's hands still hovering. The wheel and pedals begin to jostle, compensating for the wind with inhuman precision. The descent, that means that's probably really bumpy, uh, remains smooth. Oh, no. The descent remains smooth, serene, even as we touch down. It will be very... It will be very uneventful, almost boring. Maxime Gabriel, the chief technology officer of X-Wing, had assured me shortly before our fully autonomous takeoff, flight, and landing. But they later say that the takeoff was not (laughs) autonomous. Uh, (laughs) That's what we're aiming for. Uh, That hadn't seemed to mean much coming from uh, Gabriel, excuse me an aerospace engineer whose interest in planes began by jumping out of them for recreation. That's a problem. (laughs) Um, But almost boring is an apt assessment. After all, the last thing anyone wants out of a pilot-free air travel is excitement. Automation is nothing new to travel or air travel. In commercial airliners, a pilot's role in handling the plane largely ends soon after takeoff. Mm, (laughs) Not really. Then autopilot takes over as it has for decades. Again, kind of a simplification. Uh, Contrary to popular imagination, many modern planes are designed to cede less control to the pilot of the event uh, in the event of emergency. Automated flight systems, generally speaking, handle the shifting conditions of flight with more ease and more safely than humans do. Now, I'm not sure I agree with that statement at all. (laughs) Uh, Again, this person writing the article is probably not a pilot, uh, probably a technology person and doesn't really quite grasp the, the realities and practicalities of airplane flying. Um, I mean, when somebody says this, I, I mean, would you agree with this? Contrary to popular imagination, many modern planes are designed to cede less control to the pilots in the event of an emergency. No. I wouldn't. Uh, I, no. I don't agree with that at all. You usually lose automation or, yeah, in you the event of an emergency. Start shedding layers of mm-hmm. automation. Exactly. Yeah. And and protections that you would have in the normal flight, mm-hmm. you lose a lot of those when mm-hmm. you, for example, have an electrical problem. You lose a lot of facilities mm-hmm. that would otherwise be there. Yep. Anyway, it goes and on to the, say, "Go ahead." Nick. Oh, I was just going to say, it would worry me that they chose a twenty-seven-year-old airplane from Africa uh, <laughs> to conduct these trials. I'd be thinking, well, why didn't they choose a nice new one? Why did they choose this really cheap old one? Cause this one has already been beat to smithereens. <laughs> I can think of a lot of reasons. So yeah, well, right. first so one I'm thinking what, of is that it's probably not very cheap to install all this additional automation. So you're going to want to save the cost on your airframe there. Probably. Oh, I was assuming and that when it crashed, it wouldn't have cost them. Too yeah, much. Might have something to do with it. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. And perhaps it didn't come with all that fancy automation that's going to get in the way of whatever they're putting into place to do the automating in the first place or in the uh, for their purposes. You know, they don't have to remove stuff that's already there in order to make it right. more autonomous. Good yeah, good point. So it always amuse, that's probably not the right word, amuses me uh, that these writers will put in a paragraph like this one, uh, that there's a fully autonomous takeoff uh, flight and landing. And then two paragraphs later, he says, uh, for one thing, there are the aspects of flight that are not yet automated, maneuvering on taxiways and executing takeoff, for example. But didn't you just... Having just contradicted himself. (laughs) We did. (laughs) Oh, boy. Mm, Okay. Anyway, um, further down, I have highlighted something here. um, But to keep... Let's see. The goal is to automate... 
away as much as possible. The taxi and take off the landing and avoiding collisions in between. Oh, uh, but to keep a human in the loop. Instead of overseeing one flight a day, pilots could manage many in short succession, or who knows, maybe even juggle a few aircraft at a time. The basic idea, more planes, fewer pilots. There Yay, that's what we're for uh, here. No, yeah. wait, we're not. Yeah. Uh, the sooner you retire, Jeff, the happier you'll be. Yes, right. <laughs> then you won't have to think about this stuff at all. And then here's the crutch yeah. right here, or the crux, I guess is the proper way to say that. It all sounds pretty reasonable, even straightforward, until you have to plan for something to go wrong. Wait, you mean something can go wrong with the automation? Yeah. Or the or, just, or maybe not even necessarily what? the automation, but the automation may not be able to analyze what is going wrong with the airplane mm-hmm. and how to how to fix it hmm. or you know resolve the problem. Well, the good thing is at least they won't kill a pilot. That's true. Because the pilot will be sitting back at his headquarters with a bunch of computers. <laughs> exactly. So this guy, uh, Pieta. Uh, or Piet, is uh, busy turning X-Wing through a licensed subsidiary into a cargo airline. The plan is coming, uh, the plan in coming months is to buy a few other old Cessnas and outfit them with the servers and sensors. Then, like any other cargo feeder network, they'll ship things. Only the pilot on board will have very little to do. So I guess they're planning initially at least to have a pilot on board um, he'll have li- very little to do with the automated systems guiding the way. Meanwhile, they'll continue to improve their software and use those flights to gather data and prove their automation systems work with thousands of hours of flight time, not just the dozens they have so far. At some point, Piet hopes that the Federal Aviation Administration will let him leave the pilots behind. I think probably he's going to be the only one on board at that point. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yes. <laughs> I'm not sure who else is going to volunteer. I know. Mm. Interesting, huh? Well, I'm sure it'd be right for uh, parachute uh, jumpers. Yeah, because they already yeah. have the. Well, but we want to reuse the airplane. You've got a way of. You, yeah. <laughs> We'd be like right to... if it crashes. <laughs> I mean, you've got a way of getting out. Yeah, but if you want to go back up and do it again, you need the aircraft to arrive back at its destination. Yeah, well, it? Everyone jumps out and the plane lands itself. There I mean, in theory. Yeah. It, Guaranteed to work. Just trust us. Mm-hmm. All right. And then um, finally, uh, item F. The company that operated the helicopter in the crash that killed Kobe Bryant and eight others has filed a cross complaint against two air traffic controllers, according to court records obtained by USA Today Sports on Tuesday. In the cross complaint, which is filed in a California Superior Court last week, Island Express Helicopters alleges the January helicopter crash was the result of a series of erroneous acts and or omissions by two air traffic controllers at the Southern California TRACON, which provides air traffic control service to airports in the region. Island Express, which is facing a series of lawsuits from the family of Bryant and other victims in connection with the crash, claims that one of the air traffic controllers declined pilot our uh, era Zaboyan's request for flight following prior to the crash, which the helicopter company characterizes as a mistake. The company also alleges that the first air traffic controller and his replacement failed to effectively communicate the situation during a ship change just prior to the crash. Uh, so 
I'm thinking, wait a minute, that's not the way I remember Mm -mm. the air traffic control pilot communications. And uh, I have a, I I went ahead and got an audio clip of um, not the entire transcript, but at the point at which he was cleared to go through a class D and uh, they were giving him some instructions. And and we'll talk about this after we listen to this uh, audio here. Number two, Echo X-ray, continue following the five northwestbound to join the 118, and then uh, Van Nuys will work you through. Radar service is terminated. Remain that squawk. Contact Van Nuys Helicopters, 119.0. Two Echo X-ray, switch you to Van Nuys. Van Nuys Helicopter, two Echo X-ray with you for the special VFR transition. We are currently at 1400. Helicopter 7, two Echo X-ray, Van Nuys Tower. Wind calm, visibility two and one half, ceiling 1,100 overcast, Van Nuys Altimeter 3016. Cleared into Van Nuys Class Delta, northeast of Van Nuys along the 118 freeway westbound. Advise when you're in VFR conditions or when you're clear of the Van Nuys Class Delta. Transition at or below 2,500 committee. Two echo x-ray, advise in VFR condition uh, and then we stay on the uh, 118, so we're currently at 1400, and we have 0235. So, the way I understand special VFR, I mean, he is he is radar identified right now with Van Nuys, this this controller that we just mm-hmm. heard. Well, they're flying. A, he's flying a transition through the yeah, Delta. and she's saying, um, "Let me know when you're in VFR conditions." Mm-hmm. So that means to me that he is not in VFR conditions. So he has to be. So she means basic VM, VFR minimum. So mm-hmm. three statue mile visibility, thousand foot ceiling. So mm-hmm. you can fly special VFR with one statue mile and then clear of clouds. But you know what? What does flight following give you? Uh, it gives you somebody kind of keep tra- following your it's flight. A, yeah, on radar, a set of eyes right? on you, and you'll get traffic advisories. Yeah. So wouldn't wouldn't he be sort of basically getting flight following at this point anyway? I mean, she's. Well, you know, this not. is a good question for opposing bases. To yeah, let us know this the would be exact a really difference good one for between to those two situations because, he, yeah, I mean, he's talking to air traffic control and he's got special VFR clearance. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I don't know. I'm no expert, to... but special VFR, I believe, you have to be given uh, separation. So mm-hmm. you're going to get better than flight following. You're That's actually going to get. Mm-hmm. That's the way I understand yeah. it. Yeah. You're actually going to get directions to separate you from the other aircraft uh, mm-hmm. the controller has. Right, which is their job, right, to, to separate you from other big pieces of metal out there flying around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's continue. Helicopter 2, Echo actually, thank you. And once you clear Van Nuys Delta, did you want to talk to SoCal? Hey, from it up to Echo. Green line 117, contact SoCal departure. Helicopter 2 X-ray, understand, just remain this frequency, and again, 118 West. 2 X-ray, 118 West. Tower for 2 Echo X-ray, can we start, go ahead and start turning to the uh, southwest close to 1-1. Helicopter 2 Echo X-ray, approved, and are you transitioning in VFR condition? VFR condition, 1,500, 2 Echo Helicopter Okay, so it's basically just declared that he's in VFR conditions. Two Echo X-ray, thank you. Contact SoCal now, 134.2 for flight following 34 34.2. X-ray, ident. So X-ray, yeah, you're uh, still on a 1200 code. Uh, are you requesting flight following? I don't know why he's doing a 1200 code because he was given 0235, I think, um, before, but anyway, he he mm-hmm. must have on his own decided to squawk twelve hundred. Maybe when he was 
making the VFR transition. I'm, I'm not sure. Two Echo X-ray, what do you say intentions? What do you do? Two Echo X-ray, you're uh, still too low level uh, for uh, flight following at this time. Two Echo X-ray, SoCal. And that was the he asked two echo x-ray continue uh, a couple of times um and then obviously by that point they'd already crashed um sounds like um opposing bases already did a whole segment on special oh, did vfr they? so go ahead and oh, just, on special vfr okay yeah. but i was but wondering I, about the difference between uh, so specifically what traffic advisory uh information you might get if you're on a special vfr i'd like to hear a discussion about that maybe i'll send him some some uh, feedback regarding this particular, you know, case of somebody saying uh, the helicopter operator was saying it wasn't our fault. It was ATC's yeah, fault. They didn't give us. They weren't giving us flight following. But I'm thinking, what does that have to do with it? Mm. I mean, he's basically taking his own navigation uh, upon himself, uh, trying to get you know into that valley and get around to that airport that he's trying to bring his passengers to. And air traffic isn't obliged to give you flight following. If they're busy, they no. just right. won't be able to offer you the service. Exactly. In which case, it's up to you whether to continue or do something else or just right. put your eyes on stalks. So I think, I you really know what? Understand. I think what's happening here is that they know this is going to go to court. They're hoping maybe that the jury, if there's, if it's a jury trial, will not kind of understand the little nuances that of seems, this whole thing pretty i don't know stretched to me just grasping at straws yeah, hoping grasping to at deflect things. some of the responsibility and liability for this yeah. i think there's, it's just a very litigious society and yeah. anything that seems like it might be a good countersuit yeah people go for because i think uh, uh kobe bryant's uh, widow is uh, suing island helicopters uh for mm. for this so yeah Anyway, I just thought that was interesting when they said that uh, they were they're filing suit against ATC because they didn't give them flight following. I'm thinking, well, I'm not sure that that's going to have any. I, I don't know what that has to do with anything, out, to be honest. Know, to the outcome yeah. of this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like Lane Street says in the chat room, flight following won't keep you from hitting the ground. Yep. No, that's, that's not what at all. They did. I mean, it's not like okay. air traffic control is uh, flying the aircraft for you. Yeah. No. All right. Enough news. I'm tired of it. It's time to get to know us. And we'll start today with Captain Nick. Ah, well, I, I'm an ex-airline pilot living in England. Isn't that really? marvelous? Well, did, you did, know you, uh, about me. did you um, <laughs> did you start flying uh, when you were like five years old in a... yeah. Yeah, barnstorming absolutely. by wing by plane no i just kept throwing myself off the roof oh i see in a in a, <laughs> in a sheet that's what happened <laughs> <laughs> yes well, okay for a lot, we it? don't want to know as much about you as you think we do oh okay how about All just right. like what's been happening in the i don't know between shows maybe since our last oh show. well i uh i did a great photo shoot for um a bunch of uh, working dogs being trained to uh do search and rescue work, sort of so following trails, uh, and uh, also sending out particular items. Uh, in one case, uh, a 
your cadaver dog. So uh, they search out dead bodies, that sort of thing. So, but anyway, I was there to photograph the dogs, uh, which was absolutely brilliant. Uh, but uh, all, all that went on to the back burner, um, really, when uh, I got uh, a lovely offer to go with the bloke that's over my right shoulder here, uh, Pilot Pip, uh, to join uh, him and uh, our great friend, uh, Captain Al, uh, on a f little fly-in to an airport called Compton Abbas. It's an airfield, really. And well, Compton uh, is just outside of L.A., I think. Compton Abbas? It is, yeah. Really? Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. We didn't Compton know you were flight-following. No, just just, yeah. just, Comp just Compton. Didn't, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> the rest of that we're not Compton. familiar with, but <laughs> straight out but, of Compton um, Abbas. Pip was very kind. He flew uh, his uh, little Piper Comanche uh, down, mm. and um, he uh, picked us up from that particular field, actually. Uh, and there's Adam Spink, an air traffic controller from Heathrow. We're great friend of the show, and his lovely wife, Louise, who is an air traffic controller at Farnborough, um, and uh, took us all off to um, Compton Abbas. Now, that airport, the little airfield there, sorry, is uh, one that's only about seven miles from my house. I had no idea it was there. It's uh, literally a farmer has cut a beautifully neat runway uh, in one of his fields, and then uh, he's erected a little hangar, presumably for himself, and then uh, mowed some really nice taxiways to join up. The actual runway is the other side of those trees, uh, and uh, it's absolutely super there. So, um, uh, you know, he uh, he flew us over and then let me have a bit of a go, and we arrived at Compton Embers, and I managed to make a reasonable fist of, um, oh, it's not a Comanche. What is it? All right, then. It's, he just it, called me a... Yeah, it's just, it's. A Piper Cherokee. It's called me a dumbass. What's one of those? A Cherokee. I don't understand. It's Cherokee, was it? Okay. Well, it's an Indian anyway. Um, so uh, <laughs> I, I started to correct you, and then I was like, nah, Pip will get back to him. Nah, it's fine. It's too hard. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I did a terrible landing at, uh, at wherever we went, and we had a lovely uh, lunch uh, with Al, who had flown in just prior to us. We actually taxied off the runway and followed him to par our parking spot. And uh, we did some audio while we were there to catch up with everyone. So perhaps that would be an appropriate time. Oh, that would be an appropriate time for me to uh, prompt, push that prompt. particular Possibly, button. yeah. I was doing something else. Okay, here we go. I'll edit this in post for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that'll happen. No chance. Uh, do you remember where it is? Yeah, I it's in the okay. intro. I got it. I don't. I, I removed the sidebar on Evernote so that I'd have more room for the windows here. <laughs> and now I'm thinking, trying to figure out how do I navigate here without. Somehow that I sidebar. feel this is my fault for making. <laughs> no, no, it's not your fault. It's all my fault. Okay. Passive aggressive. It's all my fault. Here we go. Uh, take two, Jeff. <laughs> Take two and um, uh, blah, blah, blah. I'm 200 miles west of where I should be. we doing a show tonight. Uh, and <laughs> I'm here with Captain Al, Pip and the Spinks. So Al's now going to say exactly what he just said all over again. Absolutely. I mean, one of the great problems our industry faces is checklist discipline or indeed a use of a checklist <laughs> at all, isn't it? To, to confirm that the recording's actually taking place. It's a bright sunny day. I couldn't see the red button. <laughs> Yes, uh, it's great to be here. So um, we're in Compton Abbas, and uh, 
What can I say? It's been a, a strange few months since we last saw each other. Yep, it was your 50th birthday. It and was. We were in Welsh Wales somewhere, weren't we? Uh, well, I think Cheshire is considered to be part of England these oh, days. Oh, damn. Okay. Well, it felt like <laughs> Welsh Wales, certainly with all the Welsh people there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, we mounted a successful family invasion. <laughs> yes, but, you did. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, there was plenty of singing after you left, you know, and the, the place was generally trashed. So It was great. So <laughs> w- what are we doing today? So we've just had a little bit of an impromptu fly-in. Uh, I jumped into a PA-28 this morning in Manchester, tootled down here for a couple of hours where... Uh, near a, I would imagine it's a city actually, because I'm guessing there's a cathedral in Shaftesbury, which is where we're near. <laughs> yeah. Jeff, you're supposed to laugh at this point. Shaftesbury. Yes, Why that's is the place. Doing that? <laughs> um, which we're not really 100% certain exactly where it is in the UK. It may be in Dorset, but somewhere down in the southern part. And uh, well, it's a, it's a glorious day. And um, so I flew down, and I believe you flew in as well. Uh, yes, Pip's going to talk all about that in a minute. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I witnessed the the most splendid of landings in here, I must say. So uh, whoever did that deserves an awful lot of credit. There were hands so. flying around all over the place. <laughs> Disorganised chaos it and organised chaos are very similar to the yep. the observer. Anyway, speaking of Pip, I'll, I'll hand over the microphone and he can tell you a little bit more. Thanks. Hi, Pip. Hello, APG lands. Yes, I know. It's exciting being on the APG, isn't, isn't it? Isn't it just? Absolutely. I hope everyone's well. Uh, yeah, so we're, as Al said, at Compton Abbas, which is definitely in the southern part of the UK, uh, towards yeah, the end. We flying south for about two Yeah, hours. yeah. Yeah, we flew south for a while, yeah. And then yeah. we flew west a bit, didn't we? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's Airbus okay. navigation there for you. Well, that's perfect. I had a little green line to follow, mm. almost. Actually, it was blue. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, this is probably our third attempt now at a, a meet-up over the past few months. Previous attempts being thwarted due to weather and, and other commitments. Um, but it seems to have panned out today, considering the weather yesterday was so awful. Um, was it Storm Francis? Storm Francis. We in the UK have this penchant for naming our storms. Uh, for Storm Reed, mildly windy. But yeah, anyway. I, I I'm can't wait for Storm Gertrude. I think that'll be a bad one. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit gusty and rainy yesterday, and the weather wasn't brilliant this morning, but it all came together. Uh, I came down from to Weston to a lovely little airstrip called Westisted, I think it is, Yeah, that's which is right. just a few miles from Nick's house. It's brilliant. Seven miles. I didn't even know it existed. Love, no, nor did I until the other day. It popped up on my Skydemon uh, app which is a sort of a four-flight type thing. Anyway, it was a lovely strip, 1,000 metres of lice. Um, lice? No, nice. 1,000 <laughs> metres of lice. Uh, nice, well, short, mown grass, um, other than the birds on the end of it, which almost caused a problem. But uh, anyway, came down, picked up uh, Sir Nick and the two Spinks. Louise is here as well, as well as Adam. And we all piled in, and we got to see what a PA-28 performs like at absolutely max takeoff weight. It took to, a distressingly to long time for the airspeed indicator to start it reading. It really I did, was... didn't it? I was beginning to raise an eyebrow. <laughs> and the stall warner was just eek, 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 just squeaking as we took off. But uh, that's probably how it should be done. Anyway, that worked out well. And then, what, 30 minutes flight across? Uh, Nick flew most of it. All very nice. He it's even, fine. It's lovely. Yeah, he flew the circuit I here. I managed to trim it out occasionally. Trimmed it. He uh, had the engine at max revs the whole way. There we go. <laughs> Uh, and then, yeah, then he landed it here. Lovely, smooth landing, as Al said. I thought they were going to waive the landing fee. That the, the landing was that good. 
They, I, were, they were all aghast. I, I think it's probably due to my throttle handling. Yes, interesting. I'm allowed to call it a there. throttle, aren't I? Am. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's got a butterfly valve. Because uh, what Pip said was... I think I said chop the power, whereas Nick heard add a touch of power. Yeah. So I thought he was going around. <laughs> I, I just put a tad of power on, just like you would have in the Phantom, just to cushion the impact. Yeah. But uh, anyway, it worked, it worked out, out quite well. <laughs> yes, it did. Compensating errors, I think we'll call yeah, that. Yeah. And uh, and here we are. We've just ordered some food. It's a lovely sunny day. And uh, I don't know what else there is to, to add. Nothing. Alvi, let's hear from the Spinks. Spinks, go. Hello. Hang on. I need to move the cable. Uh-oh, cable management. Nev. <coughs> Nev. Where's Nev when you need Hi, Nick. him? Hi, Adam. Tell me about this life of yours right now. What's going on in your world? Um, I'm here sat waiting for a burger. Yeah, I know, but I'm in, in more general terms. What's it like at work? Um, it's getting busier. We're maybe up to about 50% of our traffic levels uh, before the virus hit. Uh, so that's, that's about got you maxed out, hasn't it? Well, you know, luckily I don't work there very often. Um, I do my office job from home a lot of the time. So um, I've not been into Heathrow very often. I was in there yesterday and it looks very odd work walking all the way through Terminal 3, which you would know very well. Mm. Um, and it's completely deserted. All the shops are shut. Everything Still? just, yep, Golly nothing gosh. there. Um, uh, yeah, so it's depressing. a bit, bit odd walking through, but... Um, yeah. Things are starting to pick up, hopefully, on our side anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Still great fun to get flying today, wasn't mm, it? Yeah, lovely day. Yeah, a bit, bit yeah. breezy, a bit bumpy. But Much appreciated to Pip. Well, that was yes. my flying, I think. I don't well, think was... I was being diplomatic. <laughs> I didn't want to highlight that. You're such a nice chap. <laughs> anyway, we'll try not to take up too much of the show. Let's hear from the lovely Louise. Now, Louise uh, works at Farnborough in the um, big glass house that they have there where they grow all the vegetables. Um <laughs> What's it like there for the moment, Louise? Hi, Nick. <laughs> Not sure how many vegetables, lots of chocolate and cake. but Ah, uh... uh, okay, well, that's fair enough. Typical uh, controller diet. Exactly. What's, what's it like uh, for you guys? You, you're busy uh, in the tower there at uh, Farnborough? Yeah, so um, surprisingly so. Um, I'm sure, I don't, I don't know how much you've been flying recently, Pip, but um, yeah, we, we've really picked up after lockdown. It was pretty quiet. Um, but we're up to about 80, 90% traffic now. Oh, wow. Um, which is, I think, surprised, sorry, surprised even us. Um, and then combined with the, the large service with the GA, as you can see, number of people flying in today. Yeah, well, it's not exactly busy, but uh, at least you've got something to do. Yeah, I'd say we, we're still quite short-staffed, so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been challenging last I've noticed how many controllers are short. Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah, okay. We don't need to be tall. So <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to reach the rudder pedal set. That's brilliant. Uh, do you enjoy I mean, do you do a lot of uh, light aircraft flying? GA um, flying? Well, I think... Pip asked me last time I went flying. I think it was about ten years ago. So oh, no. Oh, is that right? <laughs> Excellent. Did you enjoy it? Yeah. No, it was brilliant. Yep. Very it, good. It wasn't exactly smooth, was it? It was. We were being bounced around a wee bit. Um, had worse. Had worse. Brilliant. <laughs> yes, Adam. <laughs> yes, exactly right. Okay, it's super. A low bar. <laughs> well, there you go. That's that's it from us. Uh, uh, Jeff, uh, here we are at Compton Andrews, about to uh, eat a $100 hamburger, except I don't think they take dollars. And um, all the best from everyone here. Bye, APG. Bye, 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 bye. And bye. back to you in the studio. Bye. Good to see you all. <laughs> hey, $100 hamburger, that's a discount from a 100-pound hamburger, at oh, least, yeah. right? True. Be about a, what, 80-something? Yeah, pound? like 87 
pound. The government are actually paying uh, half of the cost of meals at the moment. So if you go out and have a to a restaurant, uh, what? the government what? will pay half the cost of your meal. How does that really? work? Uh, the, well, the uh, the restaurant gives you a 50% discount oh. and uh, the government refund the restaurant. Wow. Mm. That's very clever. They're not doing that here. No. Oh, not at all. Okay. Well, you need to come over very quick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, yes. I'll jump right on the next available flight that... So actually flying that, there would be okay. It's just when I get there, then I can't go anywhere for two weeks, I think is the problem. So that yeah, restaurant meal would be a little, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm coming to stay with you, Nick, just uh, for two that's weeks. Fine. Absolutely. Okay. What was it's it that, um, the lovely Mrs. Spink said about, um, Captain Nick's flying? She said she's had worse. <laughs> she's had worse. Okay. Just wanted to clarify. Yeah, that. That's, good. that's good for me. Very pleased with yes. that comment. And then at, at some point, somebody said something about 50%, and I, I had to refrain from doing this, hitting that bell every time I hear 50%. <laughs> anyway, good well, to hear that to the be, traffic levels are, are coming back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, to be fair, it's been like 40 years since I flew a light airplane uh, properly so oh yeah and i still did i still haven't managed that so yeah well every time i've been up in a ga airplane nobody lets me touch the controls (laughs) (laughs) i take that back that's not true mike k yeah mike i flew about half the time but he never let me land it Probably oh, a well, smart that's man. That's a good idea. <laughs> a very smart well, man. Well, Pip was very relaxed about it. He wasn't quite so relaxed when we went back to that little farmer's field, but uh, <laughs> his hands were getting noticeably closer to the yoke. But <laughs> still, still managed to get it down without too many problems. He's a smart man as well. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, I loved uh, hearing that uh, meetup audio. Uh, that was very, very cool. Well, it was fun to meet such good friends and uh, friends not only of me personally, but of uh, the show. So, yep. uh, yeah, great to see them all. Excellent. All right. Mm-hmm. What oh. have you been up to? Oh. Yeah. Oh, I don't, they can't I hear Liz, they can't hear Liz, Liz anymore. Liz is uh, running the can show they? now. Steph, what have you, what yeah, have you know, been she's, up to? Or is that what I'm supposed to say? Okay. Well, Steph. Since we're here in your lovely kitchen and the lakeside cottage, what have you been up to lately? So nothing new or different for me. I haven't had any fun meetups or anything like that yet. 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 What do you mean? So, well, you're here today, so it kind of counts as a meetup, I I suppose. That's not fun. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Liz. Passive aggressive. Yeah, you are. So obviously Jeff is here, and that's because a while back, maybe about... mm, Five or six weeks ago, yeah. when schedules came out, right? Yeah. Um, Colonel Jeff got in touch with us and he said, you know, coming up to near the end of my airline flying career here, um, I've got a Charlotte to Jacksonville turn. Um, if you guys want to come along, it's not the last flight, but, you know, if you'd want been wanting to fly, that might be a convenient one. And here's mm-hmm. a bunch of advance notice on it and said, okay, great. Yeah. Not well, so convenient for me, but very convenient. Well, for you. very convenient for me. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, it's here. Yeah. Um, so I said, yeah, sure, I'll go. And Jeff was said, you know, I'll look into it. Yeah. If I can make it work because you're busy schedule right now. Yeah. I'm, I had to really look <laughs> clear, closely clear at, the my, calendar. <laughs> at my calendar. <laughs> I thought, well, believe it or not, I'm not doing anything. So yeah. that worked out. Really? And so, yeah, so that's the plan for tomorrow, actually, is um, to do this uh, Charlotte to Jacksonville turn with Colonel Jeff. And I'm hoping that controls. I'll be able to ride in the on the jump seat. Oh, nice. Yep. Yeah. I'll be um, occupying seat 1A 
for keeping up Neville's standards, obviously. Um, But now it turns out this might actually be very close to, if not his last actual Could be his last actual. Allowed to say that or not, but sounds like. No, we're not supposed to say that. Sounds like. I'll go um, ahead and delete it. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I don't think it's a surprise or a secret (laughs) or anything like that. But um, yeah, so it'd be pretty cool if it actually turns out to be that way. So we'll have uh, a little celebration and Mm -hmm. um, be nice to, to be there for the official end of his airline career. So after party so yeah we're gonna have a little gathering after the uh after the uh jacksonville turn mm-hmm. and um go probably go somewhere for some beer yeah, we might and go get a celebratory eat or something like that ale of sorts yeah and we really can't yeah. say much just in case he's watching the show live we can't really say but well uh, it's actually more that we just haven't finalized any plans yeah, we're we, still trying to come up with an idea yeah <laughs> so if anyone has any ideas for us yeah but uh, I'm looking forward to it, and uh, so it'll be great to see Jeff tomorrow. And so I was, I was thinking at first I'd just fly up tomorrow morning from Atlanta and then do the turnaround to Jackson back, and then fly back to Atlanta. And I thought I like driving, so I thought I'm going to drive. It's not that bad of a drive, really, from Atlanta. No, it's like four hours. hours. Um, and I thought, why don't I come a day early, and we can record in your kitchen studio. Sure. So that's that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, especially when we uh, kind of realized we had to move. Well, thought we needed to move the uh, show date and time. I think yeah. it worked out better for everyone. In yeah, the we end, do apologize bit. for that. We were supposed to do the show yesterday, and then kind of at the last minute, uh, um, some scheduling issues came up, and uh, so we shifted to today. So here we are. So I'm glad that it kind of. I, I'm glad it worked out that way. Actually, yeah, me too. It'll be a lot of fun. All right. So. Anything else besides the... Uh... Gosh, I got nothing else than that. It's just okay. been same story for the past month and a half. Work, Not as work, 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 work. Yeah. So it's work, right. Work, Here we go. There it is. Work, 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 So, and just like me, work, 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 not, 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 no work, no work. Uh, still, nothing has changed for me as far as um, anticipated date of training in October. So we'll see how that goes. I should know something in a few days uh, when they come out with the um, simulator schedules for training. So uh, maybe I'll be on the uh, October schedule. We'll see. Um, I had the opportunity to meet up with someone that you may have heard of. Um, In fact, the last episode, uh, Nick met up with uh, a gentleman named Graham Fig. In uh, the London area, at Farnborough to be exact, and Absolutely. he even mentioned that he was going to be coming to um, the United States uh, for uh, and to Atlanta, and uh, there was an opportunity that uh, maybe we could get together, and that happened. And so last Saturday, uh, I met Graham at a place for some coffee and a little bit of a brunch, and I recorded some audio. Hello, APG community. I'm uh, Captain Jeff. You may have heard of me. I do this show, Airline Pilot Guy. Anyway, uh, I don't know why I'm saying that. I am sitting actually in my car because we have just uh, enjoyed a wonderful breakfast brunch at, uh, what's the name of the place? Companion. 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 Cup, like companion, but it's cup because it's coffee 
and breakfast stuff and brunch stuff, and it was uh, just wonderful. We're in Atlanta, and I'm with Graham Fig. Now, you, that might kind of ring a bell. Maybe that sounds a little familiar to you. And the reason for that is that just last episode, um, you heard Graham with Captain Nick over in a pub, I think, or no, uh, the Aviator Hotel, the Aviator Hotel at Farnborough, Farnborough, and uh, or Farnborough. And uh, we mentioned actually on the last episode that we were going to be, or Graham was going to be in Atlanta, and that uh, he might have the opportunity to get together with me, or I might have the opportunity to get together with him. Actually, that's more of the truth. And uh, yeah, so here we are. It's a Saturday morning. Actually, now it's Saturday afternoon. And we've been together now for several hours talking aviation and food. Private and what? A private meetup. A private meetup, <laughs> yes. Uh, it's been awesome. We, uh, we could probably talk for, for many, many more hours, but uh, unfortunately, you know, we both have schedules to attend to. But uh, anyway, so I just wanted to do a quick, well, I guess it's not really that quick anymore uh, because I've been yapping for way too long. But anyway, you don't want to hear me anymore. You want to hear Graham. So I'm going to bring the microphone closer to Graham's mouth and he's going to say something just very, very witty and compelling and something that you're you're just never going to be able to forget. How's that for pressure? Good morning, <laughs> APGers, crew, and uh, listeners alike. Uh, I did the double header. Unusual. Uh, I met uh, Captain Nick on uh, Thursday morning, and I've met Captain Jeff on Saturday morning. Who can say they've ever done that in two different continents? Amazing. <laughs> I've had a love for general aviation my whole life. It's been uh, interrupted by working for airlines <laughs> and corporate jet piloting and what have you. But um, I've loved it all. I've been busy my whole life flying and uh, aviating. And uh, the strength is the people you meet through this wonderful world that we seem to shrink. And uh, we get to meet uh, people who have incredible talents, are able to meet around the world. And that's what I love about what I do here. It's uh, sprinkled by coffee and red wine, um, as they know so well now. And um, I've loved everyone I've always met, and I'm privileged enough to be able to do that. And speaking of uh, sprinkling of uh, red wine and coffee, you're going to have to change your shirt because oh, okay. there's all kinds of sprinkly <laughs> stuff all over it. Excellent. I'll do that. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for uh, hosting me this morning, picking me up here, being such a hospitable uh, podcaster and guest. And uh, really, I feel part of the APG family. Well, you are. And all of you out there listening are part of our family. And it's so nice to be able to get to actually meet up with all of you or some of you, many of you in person. Uh, unfortunately, in this COVID time, it's it's a little bit difficult to do. Oh, yeah, you put, put that mask back on. Um, so but hopefully when this whole pandemic thing resolves we'll be able to get together in bigger groups and uh, share our love our passion for for aviation and for all the uh, things that surround it like all the amazing stories that graham has about his flying career uh, uh all the places that, he, that he's visited around the world it's just amazing i I'm just blown away by uh, his world traveler status all the experiences he's had uh, all the food that he's eaten and all the red wine that he has drunk. No, I didn't say he's drunk. Yeah, I know he might have to fly later today, so he's not drunk. 
but he has had some red wine at, at other yeah drunken life uh, but but not today he has not had any alcohol whatsoever as far as you know no as far as I know anyway so that is it uh, always a pleasure to meet up with the APG community but especially uh, special um, yay uh, especially special hmm. we're back in the studio thank you uh, have to Graham this out in post. and yeah. Jeff for that <laughs> very, uh, nice uh, little meetup audio uh, last Saturday well it turns out that uh, Graham uh, stayed in the Atlanta area for a few extra days hmm. and he called me up on Sunday evening um, late and said um, I'm going to meet up with my niece uh, tomorrow or cousin some kind of a family relationship um, at uh, the same place that we met up on Saturday and uh, would love to have you two or you join us. Turns out that the place is closed on Monday. So we ended up uh, going oh, to a summer. Starbucks and not actually inside of a Starbucks on the outside because they still weren't They'd allowing people the in. <laughs> but it was, it was nice. Evening. You know, it wasn't too hot and humid. Yeah. And uh, so I, I, I got to meet uh, Nadia. Um, as I said, I think it's his, um, I think it's his, maybe it's his cousin. Um, and she's a, a lovely lady who has a podcast of her own. And she also either works for or just recently worked for uh, CNN mm -hmm. uh, in Atlanta. And uh, so that was a really nice time. And then after we had our coffee and whatever, uh, breakfast items, uh, Graham and I went over to the DeKalb Peachtree Airport, uh, Cade. PDK. Mm -hmm. And we ended up, um, I got a tour of his corporate jet, a, a Gulfstream 4. And there's a picture there um, in the video. And we'll have this in the show notes if you want to see the uh, picture of myself and Graham in the uh, G4, a very, very nice airplane. And uh, that's us inside the cockpit. And then the other one here, I'll have to switch the uh screen to show you i was just going to say what is it with the matching black t-shirts and blue check shirts you, they got the memo like yeah they well got yeah the memo. he uh yeah. yeah when he called me the night before he said look we need to coordinate and uh so this is what i plan on wearing if you have something like that in your wardrobe and so yeah we, we kind of coordinated. i don't know you know that's the i didn't even realize that until you mentioned it actually <laughs> we have uh, similar tastes in fashion i guess uh, anyway, here's another shot of us in uh, front of, I believe you're seeing that. Um, you two, you, at least you two could have stood up. I mean, it looks a bit off. Yeah. We're trying to, like we're trying to trick people, um, you know, see if uh, <laughs> we could swap places and that They're kind of thing. About you the know? same height as the nose wheel. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, very, very sexy jet, actually. This Gulfstream G4, very, very nice, a luxury plush interior. It's about 20 years old, the airplane, but it doesn't, it doesn't look or feel that old. I love the smell of these corporate airplanes. You walk in, it just smells like that leather. Mm, leather uh, and fine. Yeah. Old man's club. An old, yeah. An old man's must. What? No, must. <laughs> no. Um, Ron Burgundy. Yeah, like Ron that. Burgundy. It smelled, it smelled like Ron Burgundy was in the airplane. <laughs> there you go. I'm very important. Uh, I have many leather-bound books, and my apartment smells of rich mahogany. That's um, an old bourbon. And then all the. Yeah, I can't. So. I can't even repeat that quote from that movie on air here because. Yeah, because uh, family show. Not appropriate. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, Sex Panther. Yes, thanks, Liz. <laughs> I'm aware of what it's called. Uh, let's see. And then, of course, the uh, the wonderful, the best smell in the absolute world is when you got outside the airplane and all these uh, jets are uh, burning all the uh, jet fuel around you, that the smell of burnt jet fuel is just, I love it. They should make a cologne with burnt jet fuel. Anyway, so had a great time uh, getting a nice, uh, full, classy tour of the uh, classy of the uh, G4. I'm sure how well that would work at my office, though. Yeah. That's, that would be a weird is, uh, scent. I'm just wondering what kind of people you're going to attract with a cologne like that. Well, yeah. Hey, 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 than yeah, can't be already do. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> It's already questionable at best. <laughs> Might so. be an improvement. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they describe wine, you know. All those right. Moving uh, on. Uh, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, oh, I may – well, before I do that, let me uh, tell you, and we've talked about these masks before. Pasadena uh, – Passenger Brian. No, Pasadena Brian. Pasadena Brian. You had it right the first time. <laughs> Gosh darn it. <laughs> Uh, also known as Brian Coleman, his well, real he's name. he's a passenger sometimes. Yeah, I don't know why I call him passenger Brian. Yeah, yeah. He's a, anyway, I kind of, I kind I'm of uh, gave him a bad time about not uh, sending me a mask. <laughs> he sent me a mask to make me feel bad and guilty. Um, he said, Captain Jeff, thank you so much for all your help and friendship. Cheers, Brian. And so this is from TAB Tab Fabric. Uh, this one is awesome. It's a uh, remove before flight face mask. Um, still in its nice um, sealed packaging. Packaging. Thank you, Liz. She's the one that helps me with my words, if she can. And uh, I'd love yeah, to have that job. It could be hilarious. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't need your help. <laughs> Thank no, you. No, never. <laughs> Just you're fine, Nick. Just don't say anything. Uh, okay. Um, right. Oh, we should mention this one too. This one's from um, Jeff. Jeff. Jet. Jet. Java girlfriend. Jet, wait, jet fuel jet, Java. Jet fuel Java. Got it right. Okay. Yep. His yeah, his girlfriend made these masks mm-hmm. for us, so I have finally received mine. Thanks to Captain Jeff. Yep. For bringing it over. So You're thank welcome. you very much. I actually remembered. Very cool. I also brought over the uh, the little koozie covering up her beer can, uh, her emotional su- support beer. Uh, Liz got those for the crew. Thank you, Liz, for that. So now I still have to deliver one to uh, Nick and Liz. I don't know why you didn't have one sent to yourself, but oh well. Um, we'll get it to I'm you. I'm looking forward point. to meeting up with you again and receiving a big pile of bits. Yeah, that'd be brilliant. In about yeah. two years. Did you want to mention that <laughs> item that you that was sent to you, Nick, on the? Uh, uh, no, uh, we could do. Except I can't remember exactly the name of it. Now. I can't either. It's, it's on the, the it's, book. It's so on the. Uh, let's just take that bit out, and we'll talk. Yeah, about it's it on the desk <laughs> at home. I don't have it with yeah. me, so I don't. I don't remember the name of the, the title of the book either. Anyway, we'll talk about that on the next show. Um, last show we talked about the beautiful uh, city of old Fangak and new Fangak. Uh, I was convinced that there was a new Fangak, but I think that it's just Fangak, and. The uh, yeah, I'm trying to. Uh, it's a disclaimer here, just in case the lawyers are going to be looking for me and defacing or defaming their uh, lovely little town. And uh, did I did a little bit of research and again, went back to it, and uh, Nick was corrected. The uh, the airstrip is new, <laughs> so it's the Fangak, the new Fangak airstrip. So just wanted to make sure, just set the record straight, so we can get above fifty percent. Hey, um, let's see. Also. 
again, to keep us above 50%, we received some anonymous feedback uh, from someone. And this concerns a segment on episode 438 called Test Pilot. It was one of our news items. Test Pilot at Center of 737 MAX Investigation. He says, the reason I'm writing uh, is that the title of this segment, although probably not your fault, yeah, it was not our title. It was uh, whoever was writing the article. Mm-hmm. Um, puts you below the 50% mark. Uh-oh. Um, you see, the gent involved was not a test pilot at Boeing. He was a technical pilot. What's the difference? Well, I'm glad you asked. The job of the test pilot in the context of a project like the 737 MAX is as part of an extensive multidisciplinary engineering team to ensure a safe design and one that is compliant to Title 14, Part 25 of the federal regulations, a.k.a. the FARs. Most of your listeners will never have heard of Part 25, but in my opinion, it's one of the regulations that keeps our aerospace sector so very, very safe. The Part 25 certification process involves a myriad of engineering tests, everything from determining the aircraft's performance to its handling qualities, including stability and control, to structural aspects, to how its systems function, and how the human and design interact. This compliance includes assessing the impact of failures like the one that occurred on, on the uh, tragic Lion Air and Ethiopian mishaps. This, the, uh, this role of the test pilot is essentially the same whether the test pilot is employed by an aircraft manufacturer or if they are a test pilot for the FAA. Safe and compliant to Part 25. That's the job. Think engineering. By contrast, a technical pilot, which I guess... Uh, Yeah, which is what Mr. Fortner was at Boeing, is concerned with training and other operational aspects. This is a very important job, to be sure. Just like test pilots at a company have a counterpart at the FAA, so do... So, too, do company technical pilots have an FAA counterpart. These counterparts in the FAA work for flight standards and a section called the Aircraft Evaluation Group, the AEG. Flight Standards is the same overarching organization that oversees a specific operator like ACME. Think operations and training. These disciplines, engineering and or operations, test pilots versus technical pilots, are related but distinct. They work closely. They work closely together, but they have a different job. So when Mister Fortner is described, and trust me, you're not the first to do so, as a test pilot, it simply shows that the speaker doesn't understand what they're talking about. Well, anybody can tell you that. I don't know what I'm talking. About. Um, the information associated with Mister Fortner was removed from the engineering work that was done to part. Was removed from the engineering work that was done to Part 25 certify the 737 MAX, including the work to define the hazards associated with a myriad of failure cases. In the case of a single erroneous angle of attack signal, clearly engineering, including the test pilots, got it wrong. That much is clear, was understood within days of the first mishap, and that's been acknowledged. But this error was not within the purview or scope of technical pilots like the gent of whom you spoke on 438. He goes on to say, one of the sources of confusion in all of this is the term certification. Certification and therefore certificates come in many different varieties. Engineering work results in a type certificate. Then some airplanes have a training requirement, like all airliners. 
And that requires a training certificate under, for example, part 141 or 142. And they then operate at an airline and there it comes down to an operating certificate. Uh, example, part 121, like ACME. Oh, and making the airplanes requires a different qual, a production certificate. And to fly an airplane, um, to fly an airplane needs, you got it, an airworthiness certificate. So when one says certification or certificate, it's important to understand of what you speak. Different groups work on each of these different certification efforts. I hope this helps understanding a bit. Just say technical pilot when discussing the gent and you'll be back up above 50%. Thanks again to all for a super show. Be safe and be well. Okay, so what do I need to do? I need to say technical. Okay, technical pilot. Clears if it you all say up. it twice, does that mean we get to 100%? Oh, we do, yeah. Technical pilot. <laughs> We're at 100%. <laughs> hey, good job. <laughs> Yay. All right. Oops. <laughs> the dogs are uh, barking. concerned heard about me barking. Clap. <laughs> well, you know what? I appreciate the fact that uh, this anonymous person who knows an awful lot about certification and test pilots and tech pilots Technical and stuff. Pilots. Yeah. Um, I'm glad he took the time to uh, kind of clarify all those things. Yeah, definitely. Good stuff. That was it. It was in the news article that we were reading about it that referred to him as a test pilot. And yeah. we did not do our homework to. Yeah. You know, was. honestly, when I, I but, don't even, I, yeah, I, I kind I of regret that, that we even covered that story because after I, we started doing it, I'm thinking, I don't even really know why we're talking about this, but <laughs> it seemed kind of interesting at the time, but <sighs> oh, well, there you go. So, um, love the show planning. Yeah. Show planning is uh, top notch. Liz says, <laughs> No, just kidding. She's being sarcastic. Okay, um, so we took care of that, and heck, that's all the items that I, that I had to cover. All right, coffee fund. It's time for the coffee fund. You gonna sing with me? No, no. <laughs> Tell you what, I won't even sing. You can sing. I'm just gonna. Okay. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG. I really do. Love the APG community. And coffee. And tea. And beer. Still have a little bit left in my can. All right. Coffee Fund, your way to contribute to the show in a financial way. And since the last episode, we have a couple different ways to do it. Since the last episode, we had a couple of gentlemen do recurring donations using the Coffee Fund Classic Method. Those gentlemen you're asking are whom? Vigner Guanson and Jason Kuntz. Thank you very much, for both of you, for using the Coffee Fund Classic method. Uh, the other way to do it is to become a patron of the show via patreon.com. And yay, we have a new executive producer. His name, Rory Mullen. So thank you, Rory, for signing up to be a patron at patreon.com. Now, if you are interested at all in helping us offset some of our expenses and buy cups of coffee and cases of beer and help out with the costs of meetups and such, please take a look at joining the Coffee Fund cadre or the Coffee Bar Club by going to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. 
we will too. Captain, incoming message. All right, it's time for our feedback. Everybody doing okay? We need to take a break at all? Ooh, thank you. Mm-hmm. I love the uh, pink little oh. ja- the pink jacket for my beer. This beer that's inside of this. Here, let me show that's you. That's a Ooh, I like Jade. She is nice. Look at that. It's even a pretty picture. Are we still on the air? I was just yeah. going to check and see that. Um, <laughs> Sometimes when I don't hear anything from Nick, I'm wondering if we're no, if we're still still online or not. I wasn't yeah, going to mention either. it. We, yeah. <laughs> Probably better if we weren't. But uh, anyhow, yep, we are, and uh, we are now ready to talk about some feedback. Mm-hmm. If you're ready, I am ready. Well, Sean, right there. Sean sent us a couple pieces of feedback. He said, while the following is probably well known to aviators, I'd like to point out to the APG community, uh, the large collection of publications that the FAA produces. Some are surprisingly well-written and approachable, even for people with no aviation experience or background. Did I mention that they're free to download? And a few of them are uh, regarding how to fly airplanes, uh, the pilot's handbook of aeronautical knowledge, the PHAK or FAC. P eight. How would you? I don't know. P-hack? I just always knew it as the handbook Pilots. of aeronautical handbook of knowledge. Aeronautical knowledge. Okay. There's a nice link to that. The airplane flying handbook, the AFH, and how planes and engines work. And the that's, flying handbook is that the one you toss across the room? That could be the flying handbook. <laughs> yes. <laughs> For when you need to. Very aggressive flying handbook. Yeah. Not passive. Not passive. Actual, that's actual. The aggressive. aggressive yeah. yeah. Oh, um, and I know this one by its uh, acronym. Oh, federal aviation regulations. Yes, the FARs. Yeah, the also known as what Title fourteen, CFR something or other. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, whatever. The Code of Federal Code of Regula- Regulations. Mm-hmm. Oh, whatever. Yeah. CFR. Somewhere earlier in the CFR, show, we talked Code about it. Re- yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the FARs. Uh, there's a, a nice little link to that. So there's also he didn't include it here, but maybe if I remember, I'll include the link as well to the. Uh, Aeronautical Information Manual the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is also available yep. for free. Sure. There's a lot of yeah, um, good stuff. free information through the awesome. FAA, FAA.gov. Sean also sent in this. He says, so I'm listening to APG 433. Henry's question about if you could fly any airplane. Given the dumpster <laughs> fire that ensued, I see a challenge. When the gang finally gets together again, I propose it happen at a GA airport. I guess not a Georgia airport, but general aviation airport. Uh, it could airport. be a, GA, a general aviation airport in yeah. Georgia. Uh, in a plane, a not GA. a jet. Now, that's not fair because you'd have the advantage here. Yeah, but I mean, it's straightforward. Yeah, not for me. Okay. The more primitive, the better. Well, then maybe I'd be okay because the primitive well, airplane. Get, get you a club <laughs> without any not, electric. Not I'm suggesting <laughs> um, Pip's airplane was primitive, but... <laughs> Well, I think you kind of are, actually. I think now that you've said that, oh, okay. that was the suggestion. Yeah. I mean, it, it, to lower the flaps, you had to pull up at the handbrake. I got really confused. Well, that's me. not the handbrake. Don't pull those up <laughs> on the ground if you want to If you want to park and not move. It won't well, uh, yeah, do the trick. Well, yeah, I was thinking that the handbrake actually looked like the flap lever, so I'm very confused now. <laughs> I'm confused uh, now myself. 
he says, um, stick a few cameras in the plane. Let's watch the crew each try to pre-fight the plane, fuel the plane, somehow manage to get the airplane started, airborne, and back on the ground safely. No problem. I got this, Sean. Yeah, I think. Actually, I think that Steph would probably win. Whenever this happens, please give the APG community plenty of heads up so we can make sure we are nowhere near that airspace. (laughs) I mean, what could go wrong? You've got fixed undercarriage here. You can't forget to put that down. Nothing could go wrong. Come on. Yeah, you've got a mixture. Just keep that rich-ish. You've got a throttle. (laughs) That's not hard. Rich-ish. Yeah, you've got a carburetor heat. So put that on for landing. Uh, That's about it really, isn't it? What else I is don't there know. to do? Nothing. You got yeah, it. The, don't mistake the, the, the handbrake stuff. for the flap lever. Mm-hmm. Good idea. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll let you know, Sean, if we uh, get around to doing this. I guarantee you we're never going to do this because <laughs> it would be very embarrassing, <laughs> most of us. Thanks for your suggestion, though, Sean, and uh, those links to the free literature uh, from the FAA. Um, this is great. Now, I've, let's see, Mike. Mike who? Who sent Mike? This might have been from um, a, a tweet, maybe from uh, Michael Carroll's, if I'm no. remembering. No? Oh. Or where is it from, Liz? I think I put this in here, didn't I? Yeah, I think you did. Yeah, I maybe think it was I think it was Mike Carroll's. Mike. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to give him I'll credit. I'll play it. So, yeah, go ahead and play it. Hit it. <laughs> Well, I think I might have had my last fight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared I won't get back in the air. And coronavirus just isn't fair. And I got waves to the left and these doctors to the right. Here I am, I'm getting furloughed with you. Yes, I'm, I'm getting furloughed with you. Yes, I'm, I'm getting furloughed too. Here I am. I'm getting furloughed with you. Woo! Come on, girls. One take. <laughs> <laughs> one take. One take. Yeah, Brilliant. That was, uh, yeah, very good. That's uh, someone. Not really um, impressed. Someone at our um, at Acme, I believe, um, who uh, who did that, and uh, she is. Um, close to the bottom of the seniority list and is at risk for uh, being furloughed. We're hoping, you know, crossing fingers that we don't have to furlough anybody, but um, she might be in that group. Very talented person. Mm-hmm. Though. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Good voice. And her, mm-hmm. if you're listening to the audio, you need to check out the video or check out the show notes and you'll see, uh, watch this video because she has two young daughters that are on either side of her as her, her backup singers, I guess, yes. and tambourine players and, you, ukulele. Uh, I think it was strummers. stuck in the middle of them. Yep, she's mm-hmm. stuck in the middle of her two daughters, right? Uh, with an overabundance of aviator sunglasses. Yes, and brilliant. Very pilot good. paraphernalia. By the way, the the two daughters are wearing tags that say UNA, and that is the term that they're using at Acme Airlines now for pilots who are unassigned. Ah, so, so it doesn't sound for unaccompanied. <laughs> not at this point. Okay. Yep. All right. Two minutes to the two-hour mark, just FYI. Thank you. Uh, Let's let's see. Let's move on with uh, item three. Mm, No? It's very long. Liz is saying that's too long, and we're getting close to that time. You know what? Let's just go to the 
plain tale. So without further ado, here is this week's installment. The the bland, the band played on. The old pilot's plain tales. The band played on. Charles Augustus Lindbergh led a somewhat controversial life, but it was his fame as a pilot that won the American people over. It was Lindbergh who was the first to fly solo in his specially modified aircraft, the Spirit of St. Louis, from Roosevelt Field in New York to Paris non-stop. On landing, a crowd of 150,000 stormed the field, dragged Lindbergh out of the cockpit and carried him around above their heads for nearly half an hour in celebration of his record-breaking flight. Upon his heroic return to the United States aboard the USS Memphis, a fleet of warships and military aircraft escorted him up the Potomac River into the Washington Navy Yard, where President Calvin Coolidge awarded him the Distinguished Flying Cross. There to celebrate with musical accompaniment was the United States Navy Band. Now, a story about the U.S. Navy band may not seem to be my usual fare in tales, but bear with me, and I must thank serving band member and APG listener Tuber Tony for suggesting the topic for this story. The U.S. Navy band has a long and illustrious history that stretches back to 1798 and the USS Ganges. The Ganges was a fast-sailing merchantman that was purchased by the newly formed navy and taken into service as a man-of-war. Her first captain, Richard Dale, was ordered to assemble a new crew, which was to include two musicians to serve as marines, a fifer and a drummer. So started the U.S. Navy Band. The reason for the inclusion of musicians into military units stretches back to at least the 16th century, when each company of infantry would have a single drummer and fife player. They marched at the head of the company, providing uplifting marching tunes, but more importantly, they signalled orders that could be heard over the din of battle. By the mid-1800s, the fife and drum players had grown into a band and more instruments were incorporated into what became the official United States Naval Academy Band, the oldest band in the U.S. Navy. By the First World War, and under the command of John Sousa, the first bandsman to be commissioned as an officer, the band had branched out into many independent groups in addition to a large ensemble of 350 players who toured the country playing in concert halls around the United States. The Navy band had a growing reputation that spread around the world and it was often included in missions overseas to entertain foreign dignitaries. So it was in the early 60s when the United States was firmly entrenched in fighting the Cold War that one of the fronts in this struggle was South America. 
acting on the belief that the Soviet Union was attempting to expand its influence there, President Eisenhower travelled to South America on a goodwill mission dubbed Operation Amigo. In support of that mission, 93 members of the Navy Band departed on February 6, 1960 for a 30-day tour to perform at various functions and concerts for the President and other dignitaries. The first leg of the journey was a flight from Andrews Air Force Base to Trinidad, and from there the band was billeted on the USS Macon, a Navy cruiser. According to retired Commander Alan Beck, then a musician second class, over 90 musicians on a cruiser like that was, I think, a bit of a shock to the sailors who were on that ship. They weren't used to having musicians on board. The itinerary for the band showed a busy time. Whilst on the Macon, steaming to Rio de Janeiro, they played for the ship's company, as well as performing arrival and departure honours whenever they sailed in or out of port. They performed at an open-air theatre in La Plata and in the plaza in front of City Hall at Lomas de Zamora, near Buenos Aires. A small instrumental ensemble with their vocalists, the Sea Chanters, performed at a reception by the naval attaché at the Yacht Club. The Sea Chanters were and remain the official chorus of the United States Navy. They sing traditional music, including sea chanters, madrigals and motets. A popular event, the Chanters also performed at a picnic for the crew of the Macon. Then, while the band and the President were visiting Buenos Aires, an unexpected request for an engagement at a state dinner back in Rio de Janeiro arrived. The Brazilian President had invited Eisenhower to an unscheduled reception at the U.S. Embassy in Rio de Janeiro on the evening of the 25th of February. The Navy Band were asked to provide semi-classical music for the reception. Early on the morning of the 25th, a small chamber orchestra of 18 enlisted men and one officer boarded a Navy Douglas R-6D, a military version of the DC-6 transport plane, for the flight to Rio de Janeiro. It was going to be a long day, breakfast at 0500, and then the 1,200-mile flight. The band could travel in dress car keys, but the men were instructed to take a black bow tie, white mess jacket, trousers with gold stripe, white shirt and white cap, in addition to their instruments. They were expected to be at the reception by 8.15 in the evening, where they would play ruffles and flourishes, waltzes, maybe a Brazilian march, and a little Sousa. According to the orders archived at the Washington Navy Yard, it would go on until after midnight. The DC-6 was a reliable, long-serving, four-engine passenger airliner, which usually had room for around 56 passengers, depending on the version, but could seat more. It was developed during the Second World War, but didn't fly until 1946, and it would become Douglas's most successful four-engine piston-powered airliner. The Navy crew of seven had prepared the aircraft quickly, and then embarked their 38 passengers without delay. 
They took off from Buenos Aires on time at 8.25 in the morning for the five-hour flight, which progressed without incident, northeast up the coast. When they got to Rio, the weather was pretty overcast, but quite reasonable below, although as the Navy aircraft began to position for its approach, it would have been in and out of cloud. A journalist, David Richardson, saw what happened next. I happened to glance up at Sugarloaf Mountain, he said, and noticed that it was shrouded in thick cloud. Just at that moment, a big four-engine plane, or what was left of it, came tumbling out of the cloud. It spiralled crazily. The tail and rear section were missing. From the chopped-off fuselage, a whole array of objects came spilling out, as if it were a sort of ghastly cornucopia. I thought I saw a human figure in the falling debris. The plane hit the water with a splash that shot a sheet of white spray into the air. Then came the bizarre sight of the plane's tail section gliding slowly downward in a spiral until it fell gently into the water. Other objects fell at the same time. Then the scene was as placid as it was just before that horrible moment. The Navy DC-6 wasn't the only aircraft involved in this tragedy. The other was a DC-3 of Heal Transportes Erios. The DC-3 had left Campos at 12.10 for the short flight to Rio de Janeiro. The aircraft reported at Porto das Queixas, about 25 miles northeast of Rio, at 12.58, maintaining 1,650 metres, but unable to stay clear of cloud. He was told to head for the Romeo Juliet NDB, about three miles north of the Sugarloaf Mountain, and the famous Copacabana Beach at 1,800 metres. At the same time, the Navy aircraft was south of Rio, descending from its cruise height, and initially also cleared to approach at 1,800 metres, but then this was changed to 1,500 metres. The time was 1.05pm and both aircraft were heading for the same beacon over Santos Dumont Airport. With no radar, the controller was relying on position and height reports from the aircraft to ensure their safe separation. The DC-3 was climbing up to its cleared height of 1,800 metres and the Navy DC-6 was descending to a lower height of 1,500 metres, with a requirement to call passing 1,800 metres. They were closing on each other at about five miles a minute. Perhaps realising that the aircraft would have to cross in height to get to their cleared levels, and with no accurate way to tell exactly where the aircraft were, the controller changed his mind and reversed the clearances, instructing the Brazilian aircraft to descend to 1,500 metres, and the Navy aircraft to level at 1,800 metres. He did this quickly, without waiting for an acknowledgement from the DC-3, and, in addition, he was speaking Portuguese to the Brazilian aircraft and broken English to the Navy aircraft. Afterwards, the controller stated 
that the Navy crew were having difficulty in understanding his instructions, and at times he had to repeat them three times, which he did. Non-directional beacons like the one at Santos Dumont are very basic navigation aids which suffer from a myriad of possible errors. They have no range readout, so the only position information that can be gleaned is a bearing to or from the beacon or a position overhead when the aerial hunts as the signal is momentarily lost. The loop aerial in the receiving aircraft can give erroneous readings, such as sunrise or sunset when the ionosphere shifts, due to electrical interference from activity like thunderstorms, terrain errors from mountains or steep cliffs which can distort the readings, the shoreline can refract the signal, and congestion of long and medium frequency radio stations can interfere. In addition to these common problems, the beacon that the Navy aircraft was approaching was known to be affected by the long metal cables of the cable car that carried people to the top of the Sugarloaf Mountain. Almost as soon as the controller finished making his calls, the DC-3 reported overhead the beacon at 1,700 metres, descending to 1,500 metres, and the controller cleared it to start its procedural approach. This involved a turn overhead that would take it across the path of the DC-6 twice. The controller stated that he received a report from the Navy aircraft stating that they were overhead the beacon, but it is possible the call was made early due to the problems inherent in those early beacons. The controller cleared the Navy aircraft to descend to 1,500 metres and then to 1,200 metres. There was no recording equipment to corroborate these radio calls, and the controller's initial statement differed in several areas from his final one. Witnesses on the ground state that the collision occurred in a cloud bank, where visibility would have been at a minimum, though there was a hole through which some saw the actual impact, and it appeared that neither aircraft took avoiding action. The right wing of the Brazilian DC-3 was severed and the tail of the Navy aircraft torn off. Both planes tumbled into the sea around Rio's Sugarloaf Mountain. All 35 people on the Brazilian DC-3 perished and of the 38 on the naval aircraft, 35 died, including all 19 members of the Navy band. The three survivors, all in the tail section, were playing a game of poker that saved their lives when the back end of the aircraft was cut from the DC-6 and fluttered out of the cloud to land on the surface of the water. Credit must go to the Brazilian Rescue Services, who arrived promptly and gave aid to the injured survivors. There were two inquiries into the cause of the crash, both of which centred around the communication between the controller and the two aircraft, but they were wildly different in their conclusions. The Brazilian Air Ministry report stated that the accident was due to errors made by personnel, namely the pilot of the DC-6, and his improper piloting procedure when flying 
on authorized instrument flight. They concluded that the pilot disobeyed the instructions transmitted by Rio Approach Control. The Navy report was considerably more detailed and, hardly surprisingly, came up with a markedly different course. The investigation stated that the accident could not be attributed to either of the aircraft involved, the manner in which either was operated, or to any significant actions or errors of the crews. Nor did the language problems, the lack of modern air navigation, control aids and the methods of aircraft traffic control used at Rio de Janeiro, although extremely material, attain the status of immediate causes of the accident, according to the evidence presented. However, had these matters been different, and in any respect an improvement of air safety, this accident might well have been avoided. These problems were, however, common to the flights of all aircraft in the area, and were well known by the pilots and controllers to exist. It was evident that uncertainty on the part of the controller as to the original position of the DC-3, his underestimation of the time factors, including aircraft reaction time, his lack of appreciation of the communication difficulties, and the increasing seriousness of the situation combined to create the conditions which led to the collision. An accident report can never come close to describing the human cost of such an event. One bereaved widow recalled that, as the terrible news filtered in, I was watching TV and getting my oldest daughter ready for school, she said. A bulletin came on the television. I got up and just started roaming around the house, and the children kept running behind me. They thought I was playing. The official death notification came that night. She recalled telling her children, my oldest was six, she said. I took her in my lap and I told her that her daddy had been killed and that he wasn't coming home. She cried and then she got down and went on playing. I remember thinking, boy, I wish I could do that. Pregnant at the time, she went into early labour and was rushed to the hospital where she had to remain for some time. She missed the funeral and has never been to her husband's gravesite. I look back on it now and think, I don't know how I got through that or how any of us got through it, she said. To this day, news bulletins on the television still leave me anxious. I want to get up and leave the room. Memorial services were held on the Macon to honour the lives and service of those who had died. An excerpt from a special memorial section of the Macon's cruise book reads, They were ambassadors in the highest and best sense, speaking a universal language to the hearts of men without regard of border, breed or birth. What seemed to be a voyage which would be remembered as the President's cruise will always be recorded in our hearts as the cruise of the United States Navy Band. 
After the crash, the concert orchestra was never reconstituted, but despite the tragedy that had befallen them, the remaining members of the band played on eight more times before they flew home. Wow, that was a, a cheerful one. Thank you. Uh, no, it was a, an amazing story. Very sad. but uh, It was. Uh, thanks very much to uh, our friend uh, Tony, who obviously plays the tuba in the uh, Washington. Wait, wait um, a minute. Tuba, Tony? Oh, now uh, I get well, it. I'm he assuming played, he plays the tuba. No, he does. You're right. I'm, I'm just playing around here. No. um it could be trumpet tony but he's no it's tuba tony yes he's a tuba guy uh yeah he he came up with the idea and you know anytime you get uh such a catastrophe that affects a unit a single unit so much uh, i always find it particularly poignant so thanks very much indeed for that interesting accident yeah uh, because it it actually highlights and Oh, hmm. are we frozen or is, oh, it's us. <laughs> it's us. Dang it. <laughs> I told you. Oh, I'm sorry. I said anything. <laughs> hey there. Can you hear me, Liz? Now, why thinking? did that one happen? I don't know, but see, cause I'm yeah. on my hot. I know. I'm so confused. Hi. <laughs> hey, we're back. <laughs> <laughs> we're not entirely sure what the, um, technological is. The, the odd thing is that the this laptop is on my there's another laptop over here spot, yeah. and at the same every time the house wi-fi like has glitches a hiccup, yeah it affects this one which it shouldn't I, I don't get how that is working doesn't make sense oh, well. There you go. Yeah. I was just saying, though, that that particular story highlights one of your pet peeves, of course, and that was back in the 1960s. Yeah, communication, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, and, and uh, equally, the different languages. Yeah. Control yeah. is using a native language mm-hmm. and English, so two different aircraft in the same police sky. It you know, just doesn't, doesn't help with situational awareness. Right. At and all. It, takes no. a, yeah, it takes a layer of safety, I think, um, a critical layer yep. of safety out of the. And of course, in those days, there was no uh, standardization of levels of English. So nowadays, mm-hmm. uh, if, you're, if, if you want to work in aviation uh, and uh, need to have a good level of English, you need to be able to pass a particular level. I think it's level four. Uh, and have that certified. So, uh, you know, that sort of thing didn't exist uh, way back. Hmm. You know, there are several people um, in Brazil, as a matter of fact, that listen to our show Mm -hmm. specifically to kind of help maintain their proficiency in English. And I really feel sorry for them. I was going to say, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not not sure that that's a approved study method. That's why I brought Nick on the show, because at least there's a little bit. uh, Yeah. From that country who remembers this incident, I always enjoy getting feedback on the tales. So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm interested to know what they think. Although I will say maybe it is a good source because, you know, our grammatical mistakes are probably common grammatical yeah, mistakes we're very and, common people yeah and you know it's not necessarily what's book what we're saying is not um book, book english. english yeah yeah true that's that's very true so even though phraseology and things should be standardized you'll often find non-standard mm-hmm. things slipping in and it's still important to know what's being said 
And of course, if there are people from that area who listen, then I'm going to come clean and uh, apologize already for the my pronunciation of the place names involved in that story. So no idea. <laughs> are you kidding me? We always nail place names and yes. oh yeah of course we do particularly the african ones jeff yes we got that russian oh and russian, russian. we do oh, a yeah. well, fabulous yeah. job with all of it actually despite all the offers of assistance we get from our listeners going <laughs> if you have any problems just let me know the trouble is time factor is usually the yeah. against us well usually it's, it just comes up in the article that you're reading and you go um yeah nope nope yeah. <laughs> <Don't know. laughs> oh and by the way before we move on uh love the Navy hymn. That music is just some of the, you know, that, that composition is one of the best. Absolutely. Yeah. And, Very and emotional. Uh, Tony sent me a couple of links to uh, authorized pieces of music. So we mm-hmm. shouldn't have any hassle. Excellent. We'll, we'll find out for sure. <laughs> yes. Our friends at YouTube will send me a nice little love note. <laughs> oh yeah. They do love you. They do. They really do. <laughs> just like my crew. <laughs> we love Yay. We all right you. i know i love you guys too all right where were we before three. we went three number three okay uh this is from peter uh hello apg cast and crew it's been a delight to have recently discovered your excellent weekly podcast during this covid crazy era when i reached the point of being too fed up with the gloomy daily covid news on week day radio i decided to start pursuing pursuing podcasts to satisfy my areas of interest and boom that's how i found the apg podcast i classify myself and my flying brothers equally as airplane nutters as we come from a flying family with my late father michael going from raaf mechanic working on de havilland mosquitoes in late world war ii to country Australia flying schools and weekend barnstorming in the mid-40s, through to being a check and training captain for Trans-Australian Airlines. TAA was eventually swallowed up into the Qantas brand after his retirement. He retired in 1983, having spent my childhood years piloting DC-3s, Vickers Viscounts, uh, Convairs, Fokker F-27s, MD-80s, and finally the venerable 727s. He got to see all places of our country, flying into all the big cities and regional towns across Australia, as well as doing the bush flying to outback stations and isolated communities. He and I went gliding in his early retirement years, and while I cut my flying teeth in the gliders, Father totally enjoyed slotting comfortably back into a slightly barnstorming mode as one of the club's trusty tug pilots. He never really liked the gliders, but he loved flying the tug planes where he could revert back to wannabe Spitfire pilot persona while breaking away from the glider and making a quick dash for the ground in the next glider. Oops, excuse me. Hook on. That was a, a little snack bowl there. Let, Sorry. Me, let me move this <laughs> yeah, out of the way. Would you move that out of the way? The ground, Thank you, Steph. <laughs> yeah. Remove the hazards from the... It's okay, Grandpa. All right. um, Let me read that. Reread that one here. Uh, But he loved flying the tug planes where he could revert back to wannabe Spitfire pilot persona while breaking away from the glider and making a quick dash for the ground and the next glider hook on. Sadly, my father did not get to enjoy a long and full retirement with his passing at way too early an age, a mere eight years after retirement. But his lifetime of smoking might have had a lot to do with that. And he says, put down that cigarette, folks. 
My brothers and I have, for the benefit of our airplane adventures and social gatherings, adopted self-appointed military ranks to assist others in telling us apart from each other and for us to have a bit of fun. My oldest brother, General Nuisance, (laughs) has worked for Virgin Australia for 16 years, with most of his time spent on 737-700s and 800s. Also, a brief foray into Embraers before Virgin realized that they couldn't make money with them. He also enjoyed some time with another Australian regional carrier flying shorts, Skyvans, Twin Otters, and all marks of the Dash 8 family. With Virgin Australia going through its COVID-era troubles, he is probably facing an unplanned end to his career very soon. I'm sure he'd prefer to keep on for a few more years, though. My other brother, General Pest, and I, General Disarray, fly in the sport pilot arena, which, which uh, what is called the LSA category in your part of the world. Two-seat LSAs gives us a huge amount of fun and opportunity to hoot around our skies and see some of the sights while avoiding local skydivers and staying below the big stuff. It's way too much paperwork whenever you're too close to either of those, so it's best to keep away from them, I find. Mm-hmm. I live a short five-minute drive from my local airfield just to the north of Brisbane. Uh, Captain Nook will point that out on the map for you all. Okay, go ahead and point that out. Um, Flying out of either Redcliffe or Kabulcher. Again, Nick can assist. Kabulcher, Queensland. Kabulcher, Queensland. Oh, I need to turn off the speaker, don't I? Mm. Kabulcher. Yeah. It's in Queensland. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for your help with that. Uh, Hang on. I got a little slight pause here. I forgot to turn off the speaker. Uh, Boom. Okay. Um, Anyway, uh, he says either Redcliffe or Kabucher. Again, uh, let's see. Give us the joy of spotting whales, enjoying some short air touring, or um, just embracing the joy of being in the air. Recent events in Oz and some discussions on APG regarding a certain beer have prompted me to write you in a hopefully fruitful attempt to get read out on the program. Please find attached a photograph of a U.S. $20 note as a helpful bribe. A photograph. (laughs) (laughs) And there's more where that came from. More photographs? Yeah. Mm. Nice. Mm -hmm. Firstly, with regards to the recent farewell to the last Qantas 747-400ER from service, I was fortunate enough to be at Brisbane Airport on the day of the farewell flight of Oscar Echo Juliet, and I reflected on my own links to the 747 in Australia. I can still recall with great clarity the Sunday morning in 1971, yes, that's 49 years ago, folks, when the very first Qantas Jumbo arrived over Brisbane and did a few laps overhead the wider city area. Its elegance was silhouetted nicely in the morning light. Later that day, APD, airline pilot dad, took his airplane nutter children out to the airport for a walkthrough of the imposing new 747B. The impression it left on the three of us has never left us. Whenever we three brothers have traveled to air shows in Australia, Avalon, and in the U.S., Oshkosh 2015, We've always sought out the comparative experience of standing next to the biggest and mightiest aircraft on show, always trying to see if we could capture or emulate that childhood memory of seeing how damn big that airplane actually is. And so it was politically 
excuse me, and so it was poetically symmetrical to have been there for both the first day and the last day of Qantas 747 services in Australia. And it was cool to learn that, according old boarding passes, Oscar Echo Juliet brought me home to Oz from both the UK and the USA. She served us very well indeed, and hopefully she will serve someone else for a while and not end up as beer cans too soon. Secondly, to Captain Nick regarding your RAA of service, where were you based? What did you fly? Do you have any memorable stories of flying operations around the great Southland? And finally, did you pay your bar tab before you left? With pictures of $20 bills. <laughs> yeah, they're still chasing after them. <laughs> we are in a bit of financial, uh, we are in a bit of a financial down here at the moment. So we've been going over the books looking for unpaid accounts. And military pilots on exchange seem to have a global reputation as frequent bad debtors. <laughs> he's on to you, man. So I guess because he's a new listener, he doesn't know that you flew the uh, F-18. That's right. And uh, and I had to go on a Mackie, but that was crap. And uh, a Mirage, <laughs> which was okay, a bit like a Phantom. Um, in its way it handled and the buffet and all that stuff. Um, but, uh, no, um, I paid my, uh, way as you did in Australia in rounds, which, uh, meant you couldn't really escape until, uh, you'd bought everybody in your circle of friends, uh, a beer and had a beer bought by every one of them. So, it's very hard to get out of the bar on time. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a lot of beer drinking to me. Oh, there was. There, yeah. yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, he says, and finally, regarding that most hideous of poisons, the amber that just never properly quenches or satisfies, that demon swill that masquerades as an Aussie favorite. Foster's Australian for beer. I simply don't see Foster's being bought, sold, or consumed anywhere here in Oz. I was at the local pub for dinner last night, and it was neither on tap or available in can or bottle. And the quizzical. Well, I don't believe we said it was on tap in Australia. We just said <laughs> yeah. that they owned all the companies that brew a lot of the Australian beers. That's true. Yeah, I thought we we tried to set it straight, but uh, yeah. Anyway, and the quizzical disbelieving head tilt of the bar manager when I asked if there was any Fosters available made it very clear that Fosters is no longer a part of the Australian beer lexicon. It exists more as a living myth that all Aussies drink the stuff from soon after childbirth and that our rivers flow forth with it. No, it's, <laughs> <Very good. laughs> it is a horrid and awful beer. Someone else in some other corner of the world can have a Fosters if they want, but we will enjoy something else. Thanks very much. Pass me a cold James Squire IPA, please. Mm, that sounds good. That does sound good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I like to call it a Jim Squire, though. Yeah, it's mm. a little You're on a more, uh, more informal basis yeah, with him. Informal, yeah. Yeah. Uh, some photos attached. I love the show and look forward every week to the information, good conversation, and good humor. Best blessings and blue skies to you all. And this is Peter Crook, a semi-retired teacher creature, LSA pilot, Patty dive inspector, excuse me, dive master, Appreciator of decent beers and single malts and devoted airplane nutter. And I haven't been looking, but uh, let's see, have we shown his um, 
photographs? We uh, have. Okay. Yes, we have. And if you could play the uh, video clip. Um... Got it. <laughs> Good day, mate. <laughs> Let's put another shrimp on the barbie. Isn't that like everybody talks down there? Well, and that's the phrase they say all the time. <laughs> all the time. Uh, it gets a bit repetitive <laughs> after a while, yeah. Yeah, we'll put all the uh, great photos that uh, Peter sent us uh, in the show notes. Um, and it uh, looks like you have a great family, Peter. He's been Peter. to the uh, United States Air Force Museum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very nice. All right. And he's also flown in an airplane made of um, corrugated iron. Which one was that one? <laughs> The one above. I, I'm assuming it's a Ford Trimotor or something similar. Ah. Uh, here, I need to scroll down a little bit here. Um, There's the second one from the bottom. Oh, um, second one. Oh, yeah. There, here we go. I'm sorry. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what that is. I wonder if that's a, is that a Trimotor? That's, yeah. Well, that's, I can't tell. I'm guessing. There's only one corrugator. Oh, there's two. There's the Junkers. Uh, Trimotor, and I think the Ford, and I think they're both well, they, made Well, they have those usually at Oshkosh, right? So, oh, uh, yeah. And they took a trip to Oshkosh, and uh, they're wearing yes, Oshkosh uh, we t-shirts it. in, yes. He also has a picture. nice photo of his, his father, I mm-hmm. believe, um, in uh, the uh, left seat of a, a jet. I'm not sure which one, because I don't, he's got that little microphone on the uh, yoke um, there that I, I don't recognize. Uh, I don't think that's anything I've ever flown. It's a yeah. Boeing. Is it? I, I'm. I don't think it's an Airbus. <laughs> it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't really well, look like a he Boeing. He mentioned though. a whole bunch of other types of yeah. aircraft that were not. Oh yeah, were neither he, Boeing he flew some or Fokkers, didn't he? Yeah, it might be a. I don't Fokker. know which of those Fokkers it was. <laughs> well, you know those Fokkers. Little one or a big mm, one? Yeah. Get everywhere. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, uh, thank you, Peter, for uh, sending in the uh, uh, the feedback and. Photos. Oh, and I love the picture of them in their uh, sports utility aircraft or whatever they call that, uh, sports light. Uh-huh. Uh, the light one with the aircraft. metal bar right in front of their foreheads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you if you come to an abrupt halt, you brain yourself, presumably, on that metal bar. Is that right? Well, it's advisable not to do that in the first place. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So we Steph, learn all kinds of things of from reason. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we, do. we do. Voice of reason. All right, let's move on quickly here. Uh, number five, uh, Robert from Marietta, or as I like to call it, Marietta, near the Big Chicken. I found a friend who is a citizen. Uh, you, I have a friend who I found. I found a friend who's a U.S. <laughs> <Exactly>. citizen. <laughs> oh, great! Let me know where they are. APG Tinder. Uh, let's see. I, I excuse me. I have a friend who is a U.S. citizen and works in the Cayman Islands. I was researching flight schedules to and from the Caymans and ended up reaching out to him to see what his options are should he need to fly back to the U.S. as the Caymans are under strict quarantine requirements from the government to limit the spread of COVID-19. All visitors to the Caymans are required to quarantine in hotels for two weeks upon arrival. He said at this point he would have to fly back on repatriation flights that are more or less private charters operated by Cayman Airways or British Airways arranged by the government. I included a link to one back in May below. My friend mentioned some flights may resume in October, but that is tentative. He may be able to return to the USA, but then not get back to the Caymans to work. I suppose there could be worse places to be stuck. Anyhow, I trust the crew is doing well. Stay safe. And then he sent us some links about the uh, repatriation flights from... The Cayman Islands. 
Yeah, there could be worse places to be stuck. I was actually just reading an article the other day about folks who are able to work remotely and have reasonable means. And it sounds like, especially people from the Northeast, big cities, mm-hmm. some of them have gone to places like Bermuda mm-hmm. and um, other Caribbean locations. It's all great to, until the hurricane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right. Um, Stephen. Oh, we know this guy. This is the guy that I spent a, about 10 days with heading out to the West Coast on a grand road trip, seeing all kinds of great sites at national parks and such. He sent us some audio feedback. So let's hear what he has to say. Hello, APG crew. Stephen Ivey, the... Oh, crap. I forgot that I have another job now. Um, let's just say the dude in Southern California or something. Um, I was listening to not the show you just recorded today on the 20th, but the one before, and somebody had sent you some feedback about Pan Am, the uh, game, and I actually bought the game when it uh, first came out, and I've played it a pretty good bit. Um, I I think y'all were looking to see if it was really any good and all that. Um... I, I, it's a pretty solid game. I I'm a little biased though because I play a airline simulation game um, through uh, on the internet, and it's pretty detailed as far as buying planes and stuff. So I'm a little biased, which I understand that this this is a board game and not a internet based game. But um, the game itself is it, it's really simple. Um, it only takes about um, 30 minutes or less to play. And if you have people that are actually paying attention that aren't on your phones, like certain children or teenagers, um, you can actually get it done in probably about 15 minutes. It's a super fast game. Um, there's a lot of strategic thinking Um Especially if you're the first player, because that ultimately decides the rhythm of, for that round. So, let me just give you a brief rundown of how the game works. So, whoever goes first, you'll uh, start by flipping over an event card that t- basically tells you what's happening in this round. You know, there's like a little bit of history about Pan Am or what's happening. And then you set the stock price. And then it tells you how many um, times you're going to roll the Pan Am dice, which tells you how much of uh, what routes they're going to take over from um, if, if anybody owns one or just going to take over the empty route. So the stock is kind of the key of the game. The more Pan Am stock you have, um, the, the better chance of winning. So at the end of the game, it comes down to who owns the most Pan Am stock and who has the most money in the game. So essentially, you're running an airline to buy Pan Am stock. And at the same time, um, Pan Am is its own independent player that's trying to take over the world and put you out of business. So throughout the game, you're adding uh, routes to the different cities in the world. And um, as you're rolling this Pan Am dice, it's taking over these same routes. So, um, you know, you're getting paid for this route. But if Pan Am takes it over, you essentially get paid almost double for whatever the route's worth. Um, I think it's actually maybe even triple. But, you know, then you can take that money and reinvest it into the stock market. Um, so that's ge- the general um, part of the game. So when it's your turn, like I said, you flip the event card over. 
and then you have these engineers which are essentially um, your movements so you get a certain amount based on how many people are playing the game so you've got let's see one two three five different options you can select you can um, put one on airports so if you need to build an airport somewhere to connect two routes together um, you can put um, up to four different ones on a destination to get landing rights for that city. Um, you can put um, up to four down for different airplanes. So they have the uh, tri-motor, the clipper, the cruiser, and the jet, which um, the tri-motor is a Ford tri-motor. The clipper is a DC, uh, it looks like a DC two or three. Um, the cruiser is the strato cruiser, and then the uh, jet is the uh, Boeing 707. Um, and then you also have routes. So if you've got a city pair linked together, you need to actually um, spend one of your um, engineers to create the route. And then you also have uh, these directive cards you can get that give you um, essentially power-ups, give you free airplanes, free landing rights, stuff like that. So where it gets strategic is if you're going first the airports the destinations and the plane all have a price tag and it all starts at the lowest amount and it goes up in increments of either um, two or three so let's say you've got a destination you need to finish off your um, you know your route and you put it on a zero because it goes at an increment it goes uh, zero two four and six so you put it down on zero. Well, let's say we're playing with um, Captain Jeff here, and he just really needs that more than me. Well, he can put it on the two, and he can pay you know two dollars for that route, and then um, you know he can get it. Well, since he bumped my person off, I get to reposition it, so I can rebid it for four four dollars, and then you know I I get it. Well, let's just say Jeff's just going to be a really big jerk and he's going to put it all the way at the top at six so he's going to pay six dollars for that route and ultimately he gets it because that's the most you can bid for it and then i have to decide um what to do with my engineer at that point and that applies to the airplanes too so if you are putting a route together you need an airplane and um dr steph needs the clipper more than you do and she outbids you well she gets it and you don't so to be honest being the last player is actually the best because you can see what other people are doing and plan uh, what to do from there. So after everyone puts their uh, literal engineers down, you start with the airports, resolve that, then you resolve the destinations, resolve the airplanes, people form their routes, um, and then you put an airplane down um, on the, um, there's a little spot in between the routes that tells you how much you're going to get paid um, and all that. And then if you want a directive card, you cut your directive card. So once you do all that, you roll the Pan Am dice. So it essentially has, um, I think it's a, one, a six-sided dice. Is that right? Yeah, six-sided dice. And um, it's got different emblems for the different Pan Am routes. And uh, depending on what you roll, it'll take over that section of route. So if there's nobody there, they, they basically just get that route. You can't take that city pair anymore. And if you own that city pair, you get pay compensated for the um, value of that route. And there's also a Pan Am uh, logo, and if that gets rolled, you can sell any of your routes for whatever the value of the route is, and you can take that money. Um, so once you do all that, um, you get to buy the stock at whatever the price is. Obviously, uh, you know, buy low, and then if you really need to, you can sell high. 
um, which you really don't want to because you want as much stock as you can get. So um, that's the general basis of the game. Um, there's a little bit more detail as far as getting landing rights and routes and stuff. Um, I'm not going to go into that because um, personally, I don't. I, I just don't want to explain it right now. To be perfectly honest. Anyway, um, it, it, it's it's a fun game if you have people that are really in the aviation. If you're like me and aren't your family isn't really in the aviation, it isn't as fun um but I, I i enjoy the game um it's definitely not what i thought it was um but i i give it a solid um probably seven out of ten um, as far as the rating goes um but uh one last tidbit for the game um the rules for who goes first is um whoever flew last so keep that in mind if you get this game make sure you go uh flying and i don't think um flight sims count for that anyway um quick update on me Still here in uh, Southern California. I'm still working for uh, Acme Defense. I've uh, been hit there about a month now. And I do stuff. Yes, that, that's what I do. I do stuff for Acme Defense, and I'm going to leave it at that. Um, as far as the airline gig, um, I am flying next month. Um, I got transferred out to a California base, and I'll be flying out of there next month. Um, I accidentally bid too much and got a full schedule, so I was fortunate enough that other people would like to fly, so I got rid of the parts that I didn't want. And uh, luckily, my airline actually approved a part-time policy, which will work out great for me, since that's technically what I am doing now. So that's going to work out great. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the review of the Pan Am game, and I hope you are all doing well. Take care. See ya. Where am I? We're still <laughs> still doing the show. We're still doing the show. Yeah. No, we're just joking around, Stephen. Sort of. <laughs> that it's was very a, detailed. That was a lot of detail about the game. <laughs> He's a detail guy. He is a detail guy. And what is, what kind of stuff are you doing out there in uh, Southern California? Stuff. Top secret. Come on. You can tell us. We're not going to tell any. Nobody listens to this show, especially. Well, yeah, especially people in defense, in government. He can only the, tell Americans. Uh, the CIA. Uh, or would it be the too, FBI? I don't know. Yeah. Too much of an international he's doing some audience. top secret stuff out there. Can't tell you all. One thing Stephen didn't say was whether he was any good at the game. Well, I, the only thing I got from it is that uh, Captain Jeff uh, can be a jerk. Yeah, and sometimes Steph <laughs> That's what needs, I got. you know, that, that airplane more than Jeff. So <laughs> you spent way too much time with him. Yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, we did spend uh, too much time together on our trip out to Cal, which was great, by the way. Uh, really have fond memories. So you of thought. That. So anyway, thank you, Stephen, for that. So if you uh, have any more questions about the game, uh, the Pan Am game, Please, uh, we'll give you Stephen's uh, email address, <laughs> cell phone number, <laughs> and, and his cell phone number. <laughs> Thanks, Stephen. We appreciate it, man. Yeah, we really, uh, we really love you a lot. Okay, let's see. Let's move on to seven. Uh, seven. And uh, Dave sent in, and I'm assuming that you're going to put uh, show this uh, overlay, uh, Miss Miss Producer Director. Um. 
This is um, uh, sent in by Dave, and it's just a picture, of, uh, like a screenshot from. Actually, it was a TikTok um, video that he sent me, so I just took a screenshot of it. And he says, "A bit reminiscent of that old Twilight episode Twilight Zone. from Listener Dave." Twilight Zone. And uh, what did I say? Twilight Zone. Twilight just Zone. Twilight. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. The old Twilight Zone. My bad. And uh, yeah, so. Um, uh, there are some pictures there of the uh, TikTok video and then also some uh, screenshots or pictures of the actual Twilight Zone episode with the William uh, Shatner, William Shatner. William Shatner. Yeah, mm-hmm. a very young William Shatner inside the airplane and seeing this uh, gremlin or monster or whatever you call it on the wing. Hideous. Hideous. Well, woman in a monkey suit. Yes. <laughs> Shh. <laughs> it's not at all what that is. Come on. Use your imagination. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, it was reminiscent of the old Twilight Zone. Thank you. Um, eight, Matthew uh, sent us an, a YouTube video link uh, to a guy with a several very high-powered, uh, pretty scary-looking weapons. Um, and I guess he had somehow acquired some... Windows from a 737, I believe you said, and he has them set up on a, some saw horses and cinder blocks, and he fires very high-powered uh, long-range sniper rifle weapons and other uh, things at them to show you how how strong these windows are. So if you're into that kind of thing, I mean, I guess reassuring. You love it, I guess. I don't know. I, I not I, really sure. I watched the whole okay. thing, believe it or not. <laughs> And, it's kind of uh, like Mythbusters. Yeah, it's kind of like Mythbusters, but Myth, not Myth as interesting. No. Yeah. <laughs> not as good production. Not as good production. I think you need to rename his show Excuses for Firing My Big Gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's probably, probably more accurate. Title, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bill writes in. He says, good morning, Captain Nielsen. Ooh. Now mm-hmm. I got my. Are you, in, are you in trouble? Yeah, I thought I was. Okay. Uh, as far as I know, I don't think so because I haven't been flying lately. So I'm, I think I'm okay. Haven't been called into the chief <laughs> I haven't pilot's been called office. Into the chief, chief pilot's office in quite some time. Uh, I know you are more often called Captain Jeff, but since this is our first correspondence, forgive my formality. My son is a former airline pilot. Uh, today, private jet setters employ his talents. So I guess he's a corporate mm-hmm. pilot now. He listens to your podcast faithfully and has invited me to sit in with him from time to time. You and your co-hosts put on a very lively and informative broadcast. Well, he must be talking about another show. <laughs> He's drunk. <laughs> Liz, I think, just Not spit, one, spit in her microphone. I think, I'm not sure what that sound was she just made. Um, I think she spit out some, co- were you drinking some coffee or something, tea, uh, that you some spit into the wine. microphone? Oh, wine, Okay. Congratulations on drunk your, for this. <laughs> congratulations on your success. I'm contacting you because, like you, I'm a podcaster. My program is called Read My Shorts. Every week, I broadcast new original flash fiction, a complete story in four to five minutes. I focus on brevity in order to attract and keep the ADHD crowd. So that's like if you made a Venn diagram of different podcast listeners, his would be like in one circle. And ours would be in a completely different circle. Ours would, would be a completely encompassing circle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Much larger. His, his would be like a pimple on the side of our <laughs> No, they, they just wouldn't overlap at all because you know, got the, the ADHD crowd that can't stand more than four to five minutes. And ours, it's like yeah. three hours. Fine. My most. Yeah, and, then and then when Rick's on, it's like, uh, <laughs> whoa, no way. Well, they can't hear you, Liz, but 
that's that's a, a an astute observation. Yes. Um, well, don't see. keep us in suspenders. <laughs> it had to do with um, Rick's lack of brevity in explaining topics. In-depth ah, analysis. Okay. In-depth analysis, yes. Um, so, let's see. Uh, I focus on brevity in order to attract and keep the ADHD crowd, which nowadays includes nearly all of us in our hurry-up-and-get-her-done world. My most no. ad- addictive feature, the thing that keeps listeners coming back every week for more, is my smack you in the side of the head with a brick end. Wait, is my smack you in the side of the head with a brick ending? You will never, well, almost never, see the freight train roaring down the track before it runs over you. Promise. Two weeks ago, I posted an episode, Flight 763, that's been getting a lot of plays. It's about a 32 year old career pilot who ha- is about to retire. Uh, but, ooh, that sounds kind of familiar to me. Hmm. I've spent mm-hmm. almost 32 years for me. Um, but then, then something goes horribly wrong. His world is in chaos. Camelot up in smoke. Sorry. You'll have to listen to the episode to hear what happens. All of that in five minutes. So she speak very fast or something. Do you think? I, I, I did listen to it. I, I actually didn't finish it because I uh, something distracted me. Yeah, I had to just, finish a five-minute podcast. I, I think I got about two minutes. <laughs> this is actually just like, listen, listen, listen. Squirrel. You were having a particularly bad ADHD day. Horrible ADHD. did not shake his that morning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. What were we talking about? Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who are you? And where am I? Uh, let's see. Um, so finally, we finally get to focus on my email. I've listened to a few plain tale segments on your program where you feature stories, sometimes anecdotal and experiences of other pilots in your industry. Given that, would you be interested in playing my five minute episode flight 763 on one of your episodes? Perhaps it would be a nice out of the box fit. A sidebar, if you will. If so, there is no fee, no copyright <laughs> issues. All what do you mean, episodes- don't fee? <laughs> yeah. I get paid. Why should <laughs> you? <laughs> All of my episodes are completely original. All I would ask for, groveling here, is perhaps a shout-out, a plug, to invite your audience to tune in and give it a test flight. Catchy, eh? So, uh, obviously, this is the correspondence that he sent me and wants me to play. I don't know. So, uh, if you're interested in uh, us playing... Um, Flight 763 on a future episode. Send us some feedback and let us know. Um, it's only five minutes. Yeah. We're not going to play it now? Well, no, because no. we only have, no. uh, look at the time we have remaining in our three-hour show. <laughs> Four minutes. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't have a lot of time remaining. So, uh, well, I want to hear it. But, well. You can I listen to tell it you, later with Jeff. Let me tell you how you can okay. find his podcast. If you'd like to take a listen, you can find him on Spotify, Podbean, Anchor and Stitcher. The search words are, and his name, Bill Rausch, R A U S C H, read my shorts. So if you do a search for that, Bill Rausch, read my shorts on Spotify. That's what I did. I was listening to it on Spotify. I hope you like it. And while you're there, sit back, tighten your seatbelt, and take a gander at a few more. Maybe you'll be back every week too. So again, it's, uh, Read my shorts, Bill Rausch. And maybe uh, if we get some feedback from some folks, uh, we'll maybe next episode we can uh, play. Yeah, give me a week off. Play four. Oh, yeah, we could do that. Oh, now now (laughs) Nick's thinking, wow. Aviation related ones. (laughs) Or even pseudo aviation related ones. 
Yeah, so I just thought I'd make everybody aware of uh, or, Bill's. Uh, just play that one, but play it at uh, quarter speed. <laughs> and that'll take up the... Well, you know, um, it doesn't have to be a 20-minute segment. It could be a five-minute mm-hmm. segment. All right. Um, PT shorts. I, yeah, I'm not going to have time to go out for a wee if it's only five minutes. Tell well, me about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, uh-oh. Look at Look what we have here. Yes. Oh, the my music. God, not him again. Yeah. Dearest Jeff, I understand you'll be buzzing about the sky in a Boeing 717. To my uneducated eyes, it looks like a DC-9, the MD-80, MD-90, etc. Uh, excuse me. The MD-80, MD-90, etc. are, I understand, derivatives of the DC-9, and the Mad Dog comes from the MD suffix. So the fact that the filthy cheapskate Boeing company grabbed control of the company and then just stuck their name on it goes against the aircraft. Now, to me, it looks like a mad dog, but it can't be one because of the dreadful actions of that awful Boeing company. So I am, am I correct in assuming that the 717 can never be a mad dog? By the way, this is not the sort of behavior you would get from the heavenly Airbus people. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, is it a mad dog or is it not a mad dog? Love and kisses from Ivor. The, now, the MD-95? Well, very, very good. You know, I, actually, the dirty little secret. Mm. Oh, oh, oh. The DC-9-10-10. Dash dash, I don't know if there's a 20. Dash 30, dash 41, dash 50. Um, are all DC nines? Uh, the the MD eighty is actually a DC nine dash eighty. I flew a DC nine dash eighty eight and a DC nine dash ninety, and but because McDonnell and Douglas came together at some point, they decided to rebrand the MD eighty series as, I mean, the DC nine dash eighty as an MD eighty mm-hmm. and that series and the MD ninety series. And yes, you are correct, young lady. The oh, where is it? Beautiful. We're above 50%, finally. Um, they uh, decided to um, make a an MD-95, but then that whole thing came about where Boeing bought McDonnell Douglas, and they decided to rebrand it as a Boeing 717. And you are correct, sir, that the 717 looks suspiciously like a DC-9. In fact, it's almost identical in specifications as far as length, height, wingspan, uh, almost everything, except for maybe the engines, um, for, to a DC-9-30 series. I mean, within like inches mm-hmm. in, in measurements. Mm-hmm. And so it's um, the, the engines on it, um, instead of the, uh, the venerable Pratt & Whitney JT-8Ds uh, on the 717, are um, an engine manufactured by BMW and Rolls-Royce called the br 7 70 or something like that or 700 um the br i guess stands for bmw rolls royce i just learned that the other day when i was looking at some stuff so uh yeah it's just a mo- more studying? modern dc9 thank you that's a We're more modern dc9-30 basically at um much lower capacity seating capacity than the uh, mad dog but you know what honestly to me it is a DC nine or um, an MD ninety five, and in my heart, it's going to be another Mad Dog. So, there. turns out, I'm not going to be f- 
flying other anything other than a mad dog, I guess. Perfect. So, yeah. Wrapping it up. Great question, Ivor, and my producer director in Toronto, Ontario, Cal. Uh, why I keep California? wanting to say California? I think it's because <laughs> I thought I lived you were going to say Calgary. I, I was like, wait, so, you said Southern Ontario California. already. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, Ontario, California. Yeah, and every sure, time sure, I think sure. of Ontario, I think of California, and I see CA also for Canada. Canada. So okay, oh. Toronto, okay. Ontario, Canada uh, is telling me that it's time to wrap it up. So we're going to have to do that. We have several items in our feedback that we didn't get to today. Um, including Stefan, um, because I screwed up the audio file. Sorry, Stefan. Uh, Chris uh, sent us some feedback about fighting the fires in California. George Nolly sent us some good stuff, and Captain Joe as well. So stay tuned for the next episode where you can hear all of those great f- pieces of feedback, and maybe we'll hear yours. Mm-hmm. You can do that by sending. Email well, feedback, please, not please. yours, Nick, oh, okay. um, the people that are listening to the show. Old curmudgeon <laughs> makes a return? Yeah, the old curmudgeon, maybe he'll send us some feedback. Mm. No. Uh, no? Okay. He's, he's um, retired. He's, he's dead. dead. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's a dad. I didn't realize Whoa, that happened. That's but, harsh. Uh, my we should have noticed that. Well, he was a very unhappy fella. He was. <laughs> yeah, he, he was. was. <laughs> no one No yeah. one wrote in to let us know. No one cared. They're like, well. Oh, no. he, he did not have a lot of love for us. That's for sure. Uh, especially as no. Yanks. Anyway, um, so if you, want, you hired him. if you want to send some feedback to us, uh, feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. We also have a website where we have a contact us page and speak pipe and uh, other information about how you can send feedback to us and uh, information about the crew, the community. Uh, we have an APG library. We have merchandise. We have information about the coffee fund. We have a plain tail section. Excuse me. And I uh, got excited about that one. And <laughs> I got all <laughs> choked up. <laughs> I got choked oh, you up. I really definitely did. did. <laughs> Play tells. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and uh, so much more. So check it out, airlinepilotguy.com. We're also on social media, or what we like to call the social meets. So head over to Twitter. We're at APG Crew, at APG Crew on the Instagram, and also uh, Facebook.com slash Airline Pilot Guy. Please join us and the community on your favorite platform. And I'm not sure how I feel about this, but I think Hillel's in my bathroom. When I went to the bathroom earlier, yeah. I, I think I saw somebody hiding behind the shower curtain. Yeah. They turn on that. I put a microphone in there. Oh, good. <laughs> I feel great about that, too. This <laughs> is none too. of this Sorry. disturbing. Hello! Hello, it's time for slack. Okay, but I'm dripping wet. That's okay. Just grab one of those towels if you can find one in there. Don't drip wet. Too late. Oh, yeah. Hello, come on. You're making a mess. Be respectful. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha, Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thank you very much, Hillel. And now you can uh, try not to, you know, get too many items in this lovely house wet on your way back to the... Uh, Use a Steph's moisturizer. Moisturizer? I think we have something about that. Hang on. Where is it? Lotion. Sorry.
Sorry, Jeff, I might have used all your skin lotion. That's okay, it's Steph's. <laughs> That's okay, I ripped it off from airlines. <laughs> all the little amenities, amenities things. Yeah. Oh, you You're welcome what? to all of those. What's funny about that is I think I might actually have to buy a real bar of soap one of these days because oh, no. of my trips. You know, I haven't You've had a trip in a while. I'm running out of hotel soap. <laughs> And with that thought, um, <laughs> times are tough. Uh, we'd like to thank, yes, times are tough. We'd like to thank our uh, producer director in Toronto, Yay! Ontario, Canada, Liz this, this show. Yes, and for uh, trying to, you know, direct us during this train wreck that we do every week. We do appreciate that, Liz. And until next time, we're wishing you all clear skies and limited visibility and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day. Such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America oh, Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall I got no friends Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, how do you die?